Empire podcast this week. Insert bit when we talk about the guest here because at the time of recording, we're still waiting for a guest to confirm, like, what is their excuse? A global pandemic or something? Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has been practicing social distancing for years, as anyone who ever invited us to a party would know. Never less than six feet away from everybody, except, of course, the guy holding the canapes. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week, for the third week in a row, and I'm not going to lie to you, I'm pretty confident there'll be a fourth, is once again brought to you as remotely and socially responsibly as possible. And this week I am joined not by one colleague of such lethal cunning, not by two, but indeed three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First off is our geek queen, a lady who has spent some of her lockdown time doing a nipple count across all 15 seasons of Supernatural (laughs) and discovered the shocking truth. 666 nipples in Supernatural. That's right, Sam and Dean take off their shirts 333 times each. For a grand total of 666, what Wait, can it all mean, Helen O'Hara? If, if they each took off their shirts for 333 times, what? then that would mean you only see one nipple each per time? That's right, Helen. That's, that's really that's right. weird and specific. Because of censorship. Because of they're like censorship. The, they're like the centaur of nipples. Not the centaur, Cyclops. That's... They're like Cyclops of nipples. Do Cyclops this only is... have one nipple? Anyway... anyway We're also joined by a man whose foul and potty mouth is definitely on lockdown this week after last week's bangly bang catastrophe. It is James Dyer. Hello, Chris. You were expecting (laughs) me to call you a bangly bang then, weren't you? I was. And what I'm going to try and do this week, James, I'm going to try and predict when you're going to say that word and then censor it live. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Okay. Three, two, one. You're a... Bang bang! Damn it! Damn it! Well, that was a, that was a raging success. Well done. Well one done. more, one more time, one more time. Okay, right, three, try again. two, ready, one. Bang the bang! There you go. Live censorship. So <laughs> and last but not least, you've already heard her delighted giggles uh, a couple of times. We are delighted to welcome back a lady who's taken a much-deserved break from having to deal with tears, tantrums, and the odd shower of shit being hurled at her face. To have a baby. Yes, it's Empire's editor-in-chief, the freshly fetus-free Terry White. <laughs> fetus-free. Oh, Fetus-free. You have divested yourself a fetus. baby. I have. I have. It's lovely to see you, bunch of raging <laughs> oh, bangly bang. Oh, damn it. Oh, too, too slow. Too slow. <laughs> I should have known putting you in the same remote room as James Dyer was going to lead to bangly bang. Catastrophe, but, <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. It's a clangly bang concentration of clangly bangs. Um, oh boy, uh, Terry! It is a delight to see your face shrouded in shadow, though it is. How how are you? How is babydom? Well, I hate to um, lower the tone with both sincerity and sentimentality, but it's uh, it's absolutely magic. Has it changed your life? Matt Damon once told me it would change my life, so I took his advice and never had a kid. <laughs> what, about, what about you? The instant that Emlyn was expelled from your body uh, at great velocity, I believe that's how these things work, did you suddenly find yourself becoming a more caring, sharing, kinder soul? I mean, let's not get carried away. I had a baby. Um, although the apocalypse has come since then, um, which uh-huh. has, I think, definitely made me a nicer human being. Somebody complained to me the other day that I'm being too nice to James at the moment, which huh. I can only put down to the um, impending end of the world. <laughs> Seems fair. There's something good to come out of the apocalypse, at least. Um, 
And as we'll discover later on, Morbius has been pushed back as well. So (laughs) (laughs) every cloud. Is it a good thing that we're being nicer to James? Is that that something we want to encourage? I don't know. I haven't really decided. It's um, it's only really like week two of being nice to him. It feels feels really, really weird. I'm counting my life at the moment in weeks that my child has been alive and weeks that I've been nice to James. Mm. Seems amazing. Yeah. So it's uh, six weeks today, wasn't it? Because I'm sorry, I saw your Instagram post. Six weeks today. Six which, weeks today. Which one are we? Which one are we counting? Uh, oh God, no! I, d- I don't know if I can do six weeks of being nice to you. Six weeks today, I've kept another human being alive who shat all over me quite a lot. And two weeks <laughs> again. Two back weeks, to the child. <laughs> two weeks tomorrow, um, that I've been nice to a man who uh, metaphorically shits all over me quite a lot. Mm. Has Emlyn asked for a pay rise yet? Not yet, but I give him. Three days, actually. You've 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 now been in my house remotely, um, so yeah, yeah, I give him three days. Yeah, is it is it too much to share that yesterday we had a meeting uh, via the the Majesty of Microsoft Teams, and within seconds of that meeting starting, Emlyn shat all over your partner, uh, which was just spectacular. He did at great velocity, um, all over his clothes. I tried to um, clean it up, but ended up rubbing the diarrhea further into the fabric and twine of his jeans. <laughs> this is Amazing inspirational stuff. stuff. Amazing. Yeah. I love it. I also love the fact that, so this week I became a great uncle just to, just to update people on our, on our lives and what's going on. I became a great uncle. My eldest niece, Gabrielle, back in uh, Banbridge, Northern Ireland, be- became a mother. You know, and it's really rather lovely, but you know, I'm not going to be able to get to see them for, for weeks and months, but it's given me some solace to know that even right now they're dealing with literal fountains of shit. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Makes me feel better about everything. Well, congratulations, you Chris. Thank yeah. you very much indeed. Thank you. And before we get started in the podcast proper, uh, just a very, very quick note to say a little update. Uh, a good news, in fact, about Stevie Wong, our, our good friend and sometime pod contributor. As, as people who listened to last week's show will know, Stevie is battling COVID-19. Uh, he's in an ICU in New York City, but uh, and he still is battling COVID-19. But as of today... As of today, Thursday, the whatever it is of April, uh, he was taken off the ventilator, which is great Hooray. news. Uh, he's not out of the woods yet, of course, but hopefully this is the beginning of Stevie's trek through the woods. And we will keep you posted on his woods-based adventures as the weeks go on. And uh, thanks, of course, to everybody who let us know that they were thinking of him. So get well soon, Stevie. Right. Onto the show, and after the roaring success of last week's new incredibly fun fact section, it's back again. But this time... It's got an added theme tune. <clears throat> fact me till I fart. Fact me, fact me, fact me till I fart. Oh, yeah. That's right, everybody. It is Fact Me Till I Fart, the section in which my colleagues of such lethal cunning bring me a fact and then I fart. Anyway, I haven't thought the whole thing through. You're just reusing your old, your old hits. That's not a new song. <laughs> This it's a is remix. like Elton John and Princess Di. I mean, at least he was grieving and there was a reason for repurposing a song. <laughs> but you, there's no Helen, excuse. The nation is grieving. I am the Elton <sighs> John in this scenario. The nation is grieving. They needed something to bring them together. And I have repurposed the Call Me By Your Name theme song uh, mm-hmm. for for this purpose. And also everything fits, you know, fact me, life art. It's all, it all works. It all works. But anyway, last week, you may remember that I 
task to my colleagues of such lethal cunning to uh, to come into the show and impress me with an incredible arcane, little known piece of film trivia, and then I will give I will anoint the winner every single week. James, of course, took the opportunity to to try and derail the whole thing uh, in his first week, failed spectacularly because despite your potty mouth ways, it's back for week two, uh, and I'm going to wait. I'm not going to give you the, the 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 joy of being the first one to go. Helen, as the reigning champ, mm, you get to X, impress X. me. Fact me, <laughs> Helen, until I fart. This is a Marvel fact that we didn't even discuss in Helen this Helen has won this week. So <laughs> <laughs> um, and it also ties into our Empire Movie Watchalongs, Empire Movie Nights that we've been doing every Friday during this lockdown period, which, of course, started with... Groundhog Day, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) you really had a moment there. You were like, uh. We've done two Um, and I forgot the first one. It's going well. So, so it's about Doctor Strange, which of course deals with time and repeating time and living in the same moment of time over and over and over again. And early on in the film, before he gets in, into the fatal car crash that would change his life forever. Well, not fatal. Doctor Strange. Is it? Surely, well, surely. No, but fatal in Injury. the sense of meaning. Fateful, yeah. maybe. Fateful. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Before he gets into that car crash, he picks out one of his expensive collection of watches and you can actually see the date on the watch. Do you know what date it is? It it's is. February bloody 2nd. Is it's it? actual Groundhog it Day. It is! Groundhog Whoa! Day! Yes. There you go. Okay. That's my fact. And I have to That's thank Amon Warman for that, who told me that. I knew That's that That's a fact. belter. I'm pretty sure we discussed that on the Doctor Strange spoiler special, but okay, that's fine. No, it's remember. all good. Terry, did you bring a fact? I did bring a fact. Um, and you're going to be really surprised to hear that it's a Kez fact. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> this is so on brand. <laughs> it was either going to be a Kez fact or a scum fact. So I think we've all got off quite lightly. All right. Um, okay. So you ready? You ready? Yep. Okay. I'm right. ready. So, did you know that three kestrels were used in the filming of Kez? And these three kestrels were trained and loved and nurtured by David Bradley, who played Billy Casper, as we all know. I think he really bonded with these three Kezers, right? It's Mm -hmm. like the baby in Full House that was actually played by twins or triplets. It's like the bird version of that. So he formed this love affair with these birds. And he knew that Kez would die at some point in the film, but was blind about how it was going to happen. And so, spoiler alert, when he finds Kez, dead in bin, (laughs) that reaction is a real reaction because he thought one of the three birds that he'd come to know and love had been murdered, which it was going to be because they were going to kill one of the real birds. But actually, they'd ordered in an organically dead bird from abroad, put it in a freezer, put that in the bin, and the whole thing was an elaborate ruse to invoke real emotion. I have questions. How does one order an organically dead kestrel? It died of natural causes. So just to be clear, there's a service presumably somewhere online where if you want a kestrel that's carked it by entirely natural causes, you can you can acquire one. Well, this was the days before the internet, so maybe it was... So they wrote off, there's like an ad in a magazine. It's like dead kestrels (laughs) for sale. Classifieds. Also, this was the north. I'm sure there were dead kestrels hanging around on street corners. Someone had had opened his coat and he had like a a brace of them in the lining of his donkey jacket. (laughs) You want some dead kestrels? (laughs) Meat raffle. Brand new kind of meat (laughs) raffle. (laughs) All right. That's a good fact. That is a very, very good fact. I enjoy that fact. Um, Here he goes. Here he goes. 
Oh, yes, you want a fact, don't you? You want a fact. Oh, yeah. Uh, Here he goes. Now, assume for the sake of argument that maybe I forgot to do a fact for this week. And so so I just rocked up here. And as you started mentioning facts, I was desperately trying to kind of rack my brain for a piece of information that I might somehow have. And what I have fallen upon in the kind of roulette of James's brain trivia was always going to land on either, you know, Aliens, Star Wars, Die Hard, or Commando. Uh, and it landed on the fourth of those things. So my fact here, now you may you may say, Chris, you may say, well, what you're going to tell me, James, is that originally Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't going to play John Matrix in Commando. Originally, it was off to Nick Nolte. And of course, that is true, rumoured to be true anyway. But that's not the fact that I'm going to give you. The fact I'm going to give you is before it was rumoured to be offered to Nick Nolte, it was officially offered to Kiss frontman Gene Simmons. <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Who up until that point had done a Kiss movie, but had also been the villain in Runaway with Tom Selleck. Really? Yeah. He was the villain in Runaway and off the back of that got offered the leading commando and turned it down. Wow. Are you sure? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, And I know this is true because this is a fact that was uh, put out on the internet and Steve D'Souza actually said, uh, amazingly, commando facts that are actually true. So, uh, yeah, it's been endorsed (laughs) by Steve D'Souza. Another commando fact for you. You know know who originally wrote the the first draft of the screenplay? Was a very famous comic writer, Jeff Loeb. That was one of his first jobs. Jeff Loeb, who Mm. ended up running the Marvel TV shows. Indeed. For the most part. Indeed. And who also wrote Teen Wolf. Um. When you talk about um, you did. films that were famously recast before they were made, I read this week that the Bad Boys script was originally written for Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. Oh, can you that imagine? is correct. Mm. And that slightly blew my mind. Not so much the Dana Carvey bit, it was more the John Lovitz bit. <laughs> anyway, just thought yeah. I'd share that. All right, those are three... I want to say interesting facts, but there's, th- there's certainly three facts. Uh, and so it, it falls to me now as the completely unbiased and objective host of Fact Me Till I Fart to pick this week's winner. Now, Helen's fact was a good fact. It was a good fact, but it was a fact that I did know at the, at the dim lizard part of my brain. I had heard that before. And like I say, I'm pretty sure we did discuss it on our Doctor Strange spoiler special. So therefore, Helen, your, your one week winning streak is over. That's fine. You're gutted, I can tell. I mean, I'll, I'll live, I think. I think I can get through this difficult Cry, time. Helen. Nope. Um, James, <laughs> your fact was good, but you were literally Googling it as we were doing this section. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you reading it off your computer screen. Lies. <laughs> These are lies. <clears throat> so therefore, because uh, Terry actually knows this stuff, she knows Kez inside out, I'm going to give this week's point to the guest... The guest, the fourth. Hang on, yeah. fourth how is the guest? She's yeah. been you know, boss. Terry won't be. Terry won't I'm, be on every single I week. I won't be here. So well, because we're going to kill every fourth. I'm, I'm confused. Whoever the fourth person is, well, I'll put them in that little column. So the fourth person, the fourth columnist, is Terry White. Can I? I feel like I need to confess something oh, and God. interrupt your applause, Uh-oh. which is I just I think I just remembered as I was speaking <laughs> that, that I, the fact was wrong. <laughs> no, <laughs> the I fact is fact. correct. The fact is correct. But I'm pretty sure I wrote about this and I wrote about it in a feature for you 
that you edited. Disqualification. Disqualification <laughs> on a technicality. I so win. you knew Hooray! it already. Wait, that doesn't I make sense. I think we both knew it already, unless you didn't read my feature. I, of course <gasps> I read your Chris feature. would be that unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> of course I why, why would I not read? Listen, but anyway, if there's one person whose feature I'm not going to read, it's it's yours because I know it's going to be perfection, right? Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Smooth. Yeah. Got Smooth. out of that one. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, confession. Oh, thank you. <laughs> confession. Uh, confession aside, it was still a good fact that you didn't have to Google. So uh, therefore, I'm still going to award the point to Terry White. Well done. James. Thank you. You are still pointless in so many ways. <laughs> and you, sir. You, sir. I feel like. Damn it. I will get there one of these days. Anyway, so that is the end of Fact Me Till I Fart. Uh, so uh, <laughs> now we're going to move on seamlessly into the listener questions. And uh, we have a couple of listener questions. Um, I'm stockpiling some because, you know, we <laughs> don't know how many weeks we've got to get through. Uh, but do keep your questions coming every single week. Uh, slide into my DMs or just reply to me on Twitter. Uh, but here are three I chose this week. At Tokyo Sexwell, Tokyo underscore Sexwell, the brilliantly named Tokyo Sexwell, who's a fantastic illustrator in his own right, go check out his Twitter, uh, asks, is this giving you a taste of where you are in the social hierarchy of what is useful come the apocalypse? Mm, not very useful, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I can cook a little bit. Um I've been sort of thinking about like sewing something, but honestly, it's not going to happen. So yeah, I would put myself down at the bottom of the table. Ooh, but I did regrow some scallions from the bit that you cut off the bottom of the spring onion. You just put those in some water and they regrow. So maybe I could be like a magical garden wizard or something. There's, Is there a word for that? There's definitely a kind of, uh, you know, Mark Watney thing going on there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Although That's actually genuinely with, with his potatoes, he would have, died for some spring onions. That would have been delicious. I mean, Can but, you imagine? Oh, oh. Lovely, sweet, sweet carbs. Covered in your friend's yeah. feces, obviously, but still sweet carbs. <laughs> <laughs> Got a strange taste, these potatoes. What are they, what are they made from? <laughs> mm, just just potatoes. Just potatoes. Keep eating, keep eating. Uh, that's very useful. But yeah, that, I've realised that I have absolutely no uh, applicable or transferable skills whatsoever. Mm. And I hope that in the new world order and this established after this, that podcasters are held in some sort of plinth, <laughs> uh, you know, that we're, we're valued for our ability to entertain people during their commute to the, you know, to the murder farms or wherever, <laughs> wherever they're going. Uh, but I've got nothing. I absolutely have nothing whatsoever. Um so yeah, I'm I'm in any new world order, I'm probably first against the wall, sadly. It's a real shame. I mean Is it though? Yeah. <laughs> it is a shame, Helen. I am a delight. And fuck you for even implying that I'm not. Uh, Terry, what about yourself? If you have any skills, where, where do you where do you stand in the social hierarchy? Well, I mean, I have some skills from when I was when I was younger, which was mainly like fighting <laughs> skills and weapon yeah. skills. Mate, I can um, kill I can kill a kestrel from forty <laughs> paces with pea shooter. I can kill a kestrel behind a bottle bank and stuff it in a bin. Um, but but I have to say, it did. There was a moment where I thought, oh my god, what is the point of all of us, especially us? Um, but you do have to think in all seriousness, that what we do, podcasts, magazines, I think in these times of a kind of great panic and uh, impending doom, 
I think we're a vital service and I think we create a community that people can come and sit in and feel safe and entertained and laugh at you lot saying 134 times in, 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 you know, six seconds. Um, so I, 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 as, as time is going on, I'm becoming uh, less nihilistic about my own place in the world mm. and your place in the world as well. <laughs> no, you should always be nihilistic about my place in the world. Uh, Jimbo, how do you how do you feel about the whole oh, thing? Oh, I'm 100% certain that when we emerge into the new world order and I am crowned emperor, you will all serve me. <laughs> For I am Negan. <sighs> yes, you are in so many ways. But well, yeah, I think, a, I think a, a lot less attractive in fairness. <clears throat> well, in, in fairness, he's Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I mean, there, there aren't many people who are more attractive than Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um but yeah, I, I think Terry's hit upon something slightly in terms of how I feel about what I bring to the whole party because people do seem to enjoy the podcast and I know people enjoy Empire Magazine. So let's take some some solace from that and hope that that's seen as a uh, a, a key worker skill. I think that's <laughs> that's not too much to ask yes. for. You're right? not getting into in the, the shops order. early, yeah, Chris. You're not, not getting into happen. the shops early. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> It is. Damn it. It has been quite nice, actually, that people have sort of contacted us saying, you know, it's really nice. You guys are still doing the podcast. It kind of makes us feel better. And it's all a bit, you know, much, which is lovely. It's <laughs> lovely to hear that. And I, you know, I personally, this podcast would drive me over the fucking edge. Uh, if, but, you know, sure, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. It's like, if you, if I listen to these four idiots, I feel better about the shit show my life has become. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Comparative escapism. They, <laughs> yeah, they put it in stark relief. Oh, Stark. Tony Stark. Mm. Uh, anyway. At Simon from Harlow, uh, who again is a very, very funny guy on Twitter. If you want to follow him, do follow him. Uh, asks, if Kate Winslet feels that she can advise a nation on a pandemic based on starring in Contagion, which actors would you like to see dishing out helpful hints and tips based on their iconic roles? Um, Doesn't have to be pandemic related, but you know. Well, how about Andy Serkis giving advice on how to rebuild a civilization based on playing Caesar in Planet of the Apes? I mean, did he have much of a hand in building the civilization? I think so. Well, I mean, he did die before it really got going, but I feel like his oh. example was important. Spoiler, Spoiler. alert. <laughs> but, but also Kate like Winslet died, right? Kate Winslet That's died. True. So she was yeah. rubbish. Him. <clears throat> she Don't listen rubbish. to Kate Winslet. She died. Yeah, she died. No, it wasn't her fault. Advice. Yeah, Helen, okay, no one so ever takes responsibility. Okay, first of all, somebody's not rubbish for dying. Let's be clear on that, James. And second of all, it wasn't her fault. She was taking all the precautions and wearing all the PPE because she had some, unlike many medics working today. Um, but the problem oh, was that somebody cleaned her hotel room despite her having a sign up saying, don't come in. Just and saying. that person infected the surfaces. If you're going to give advice on how to survive a pandemic, you should make sure that you actually survived the pandemic and didn't, you know. No, not. but then she even chronicled her own death. She was literally not rating what was happening to her as it was happening. She was extremely important in finding a cure. I'm just saying. This is a fun watch, Contagion, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I advise everyone. Yeah, right we'll make it movie night on Friday. I think we should do that. Oh, boy. No. We'll watch Contagion I did together. think about one point. I did think about one point doing a, a ranking episode of, of uh, Outbreak virus movies because, you know, it's it's not just about things like Outbreak and Contagion. It's, it's like... Night of the Living Dead is a virus mm -hmm. movie. You know, even vampire movies can technically World be War's called Ed. a virus movie. There's loads and loads of stuff to talk about. Maybe people would find it cathartic in these trying and troubling times. Then I thought, nah. Um, anyway, Terry, do you have uh, any uh, any examples? Well, I have two. One, 
Tom Hanks um, for isolation, both in real life as Tom mm. Hanks, because he's just come out of self-isolation and obviously in Castaway. But Uma Thurman as Beatrix Kiddo, <laughs> telling you how to smash a guy's head in with just a door when you can't move your legs. <laughs> so important. Adult life so, skills. Such, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be might be very useful. Might come in very handy. Or how that to just involves, take out like eighty eight dudes. Yeah, would that yeah. involve getting within this? You know, the two meter margin though. Mm. Oh God, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah, that I would... think we might need some kind of sniper. You know, so we might need like Barry Pepper mm. from also the Saving splatter. Private Ryan. You could get large yeah. particles in the splatter. Oh, that's a good mm. point. Yeah, darn, we have not thought this through. I know. Yeah. So you, what you really want, if you want a, a sniper, you want Mark Wahlberg, don't you, as uh, Bob Lee's <laughs> swagger <laughs> in Shooter. Absolutely Shooter. do. <laughs> oh, what a film that was. Um, I, I, I want Sam Neill just as as pretty much any of his characters at Feisness and anything, but because he's just, he's become just such a lovable, wonderful, warm presence online. I don't know if you've seen what he's been doing this week. He's been, he's in lockdown and he's on his own. I think he's, he's, as far as I can tell, he's in Australia, which means he's far away from his family. And, uh, and his and farm. He's, oh no. Yeah. Mm. At least as far as I can tell, he seems to be on his own. And, you know, but he's, he's reacting to it really, really wonderfully with, with warmth and with wisdom. And he's mm. doing songs, even though he can't sing. He revealed that he loves Radiohead. He was like, I love Radiohead. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Um, you know, and he did a little short film with Steven Weber where they both filmed themselves, even though they're thousands of miles away from each other. They did a little short film. So Sam Neill, I don't know. Just, he could, he could do a lecture on, on physics using his, the knowledge accrued as Dr. William Weir in Event Horizon. He could, do, he could teach you how a velociraptor can circle around its prey and then suddenly whoosh, out the side and whoosh, slice you open. He could do all sorts of things, couldn't he? He's just great. There's one person, though, that you probably shouldn't follow on social media at this point. I don't know if any of you follow Taika Waititi on Instagram, but yesterday he let his small, I don't know, she was four or five year old daughter, shave his head with, an, with you know, clippers. I was terrified for everybody involved. I thought there were for sure going to be limbs lost or something. And also it's really traumatic because, you know, he ends up with like his glorious hair kind of shaved to, to a much shorter level. And that was also traumatic to watch. So at, the, at this moment, I cannot recommend following Taika Waititi and I, it pains me to say it, but there you go. I mean, <laughs> oh. I, I, I have to, I have to, to, to reverse that. So Taika Waititi alerted me this week, slightly oddly, to the uh, BBC Breakfast thing of the uh, that family who did the One Day More rendition, which I'm sure you must have seen. Oh which yeah, is, that was the greatest yeah. achievement in human history. Um, which I thought was delightful. That I heard about it from Taika was curious, but I'm very grateful that I did. What about yeah. Patrick Stewart reading sonnets every day? Oh, that's super oh. good. Yeah, Christ, yeah. Don't, does he get much purer I mean, than that? Dolly Parton and, reading kids' bedtime stories is pretty pure mm. <laughs> and uh, Yo-Yo Ma has been playing a, a song every day or a, a tune every day on his cello which is also relaxing because James because Yo-Yo Ma rules um, but you want you want people's movie characters to actually give you stuff that's an advice that's useful in this time mm. of crisis right so my wife and I have been watching the likes of Jason Atherton and Tom Akins do Instagram live shows mm. where they're cooking in their own kitchens and they're taking you through some incredible recipes. And that's really, really fun. So I think if we got, I mean, the films aren't great, but if you got, say, Bradley Cooper from Burnt giving you his advice on how to cook oh. stuff or Dugray Scott from Love's Kitchen, then, no. then these are... These are primo movie chefs who could, who could teach you a thing or two. And of Aaron course, Eckhart um, from No Reservations. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Catherine Cedar Jones as well. And Catherine Cedar Jones, yeah. Yeah. And Remy, obviously. Remy. <laughs> from Ratatouille. Remy the Rat from Ratatouille. Indeed. Um, uh, yes, there, there are chefs that you should follow, though, because um, Ina Garten made a gi- ginormous cosmopolitan cocktail last night um, and then drank it all, I believe. Um, so she's worth a follow. And Smitten Kitchen has been doing cook-alongs live on her blog as well, which are pretty good. Amazing. Oh, and uh, in terms of, you know, having the skills that you need, the survival skills, I think you could do a lot worse than Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. He wouldn't have much time for dishing out helpful hints and tips, but if he had his own YouTube channel or he had his own Instagram live, then I would absolutely watch Ron Swanson go to town on a canoe. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Say to me. yes. All right, let's move on to the the third and last question this week. It comes from at Ronog RH on Twitter, uh, who I believe is a regular question contributor uh, from Norway. And this one isn't about the pandemic, and this is good. I mean, you know, by all means, do ask questions that are pandemic related, but it'd be nice to have maybe one or two a week that aren't that are kind of general film stuff. Uh, so this is a, a bit of a thinker. Thinking about The Irishman in 1917, uh, these, but so many more films like this, these are stories about white men doing something that has been on film over and over and over. Wouldn't it be more interesting to see these stories through new eyes? The Irishman's mob story told through the eyes of wives, girlfriends, mothers, daughters, war stories through the eyes of Sikh soldiers, etc. The reason I think about this are tweets from Asians after seeing 1917. Even a smidgen of representation was a big thing. Now, I know that uh, Terry and Helen have never said anything mm. on the record about this, uh, <laughs> but uh, what, do you, what do you reckon to that? Uh, could, could we, would these stories work from different perspectives? Yes. I mean, this is, this is the thing. Apart from, you know, better representation being a moral good, even leaving that aside for a second, it's just better for storytelling. Because if you're telling a story that essentially on its bones, we've seen a million times before, but it's done from a different perspective, it's done with a different angle, it's done in a different culture, then that story feels different. It feels new. It feels exciting. I mean, Black Panther on the face of it is basically a, you know, a succession squabble in a royal family. We've seen a million of those. The difference is, you know, well, okay, two differences. One, <laughs> they're a superhero and they're in Wakanda, but it's, it's a, it's a different feel. It's a different texture and it therefore feels so much more exciting than, than, you know, it would if it was yet more straight mm. white men over and over again. I agree. <laughs> I think it's interesting because I think what I get really excited by is is new stories that really tackle the authenticity of the representation we're talking about, right? So I think there's often people talk about, oh, let's show the same story from a different point of view. But I think some of the most exciting stuff we see is completely brand new stories that we haven't seen before. And so something like The Irishman, for example, and I know there was a lot of controversy about Anna Paquin and her lack of dialogue and that character. That for me was really authentic to that story because the mafia is is known for being essentially an organisation run and experienced and dominated by men and women are obviously the silent part of it. They may have an interior life, but they don't have much agency within that world. So that actually felt really right for me for what the story was. And I think it's about finding female areas that allow women to have really exciting, meaty, authentic roles. So one of the things I loved about Hustlers was that that was a story about strippers. It was a heist movie, which has obviously traditionally been kind of a, a story that men have told, but they were strippers. And that was really important part of it because that is a 
a female kind of profession that has got a long history, has got a rich history, has loads of debates and kind of thorniness around it. And I think that's what made Hustlers really exciting, wasn't that it was kind of an inversion of a high story. It was because it was about a female narrative, if you see what I mean. So that for me is what I get excited by. But I, I agree with Helen, representation shouldn't even be a conversation at this point. It's, it's as she says, not only the right thing to do and the proper thing to do, but it makes for better storytelling. I think that's been proven out over and over again, is that these are richer, more textured, more interesting stories that appeal to more people um, and is only for the better of cinema. Yeah, I think I think I I want to agree with absolutely everything you said because I, I don't want it to sound like I was just saying just tell the same old story and put a woman in it. That's absolutely not what I mean. It's exactly what you said. It's it's your if you're telling it from a different angle, if you're telling it from a different perspective, even though the the bones may be similar in that it's still a heist movie or it's still a whatever, it's mm. going to be a different tale just by that by virtue of that fact. Mm. Yeah, Hustlers is a great example. I mean. Um, mm. I mean, you could very much Rosencrantz and Guildenstern the whole thing, couldn't you? And, uh, you know, could you retell Goodfellas? Could you retell The Irishman? Could you retell The Godfather, for example? Could you retell The Godfather from Kay's point of view? And would it be as exciting? I'm not so sure. So you take... But it would so be take, a different movie. It would, yeah, of course it would be a different movie. It would be a less exciting movie where all the exciting stuff happens off camera and like Kay's in a room while Michael's off there having people killed every five minutes. Um, of course, yeah. what we're all secretly Indeed. thinking about was the complete redo of Twilight told entirely from Edward's perspective, which is the definitive <laughs> case study on this matter. Yeah. Terrifying, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely terrifying stuff. Uh, all right. So if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast uh, or questions, of course, because we're taking two or three at a time every week until this bloody corona fucks off, uh, then you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on Twitter. As at Empire Magazine, use the hashtag Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see it, or just tweet me directly or slide into my DMs as some people are beginning to do. Cheeky, naughty, but uh, it works. Uh, we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. All right, so this would normally be the bit where I do my big build up to an interview and to this week's guest, and I think we have a guest for this week. I think it's Sharon Horgan, the wonderful star of Catastrophe and Military Wives, which is currently available. It has gone very, very quickly, as is the case with a lot of films, from a cinematic release to a digital release. So you can now get Military Wives online. Of course, the interview hasn't happened yet, and it's going to happen roughly 24 hours after I'm recording this. So I'm just giving myself an option. Uh, so hopefully you're about to hear me talking to Sharon Horgan. Enjoy. Hey guys, Chris here, just jumping in on my little home recording thingy to let you know that, yes, Sharon Horgan couldn't make it onto this week's podcast, uh, sadly, but we're hopefully going to get her on next week's show. So that left us with a little bit of a guest gap. Uh, so instead, what you're about to hear is an interview that's not so much from the Empire Podcast archives, and more one that never ran. Ever. Basically, I was sitting on this one with the signs of turning it into a special at some point. Um, but now, fate has intervened, and so here it is. A really fun and fascinating chat with Larry Karasuski, Scott Alexander, and Ruth E. Carter, the writers and costume designer of the wonderful Eddie Murphy comedy Dolomite Is My Name, which, as you know, is available 
on Netflix. A uh, little bit of context for you. This was recorded at the tail end of last year when they came into London for a Q&A and popped into our pod booth in Camden on the way to the venue. Uh, now, Karasuski and Alexander are perhaps the best proponents of the biopic in Hollywood, having written the likes of Ed Wood and The People vs. Larry Flint and this, while Carter is the legendary Oscar-winning costume designer behind Black Panther and Do the Right Thing, to name but two, and she's worked with Eddie Murphy on a whole ton of projects. Now, when they came in, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Interviewing people at the same time is never easy, especially when they work in such different departments, but they were wonderful. They were warm, they were friendly, and filled with great anecdotes. So apologies for the late arrival of this interview, which even starts with us talking about the award season in which the movie was appallingly snubbed. But I hope that you seek out Dolomite Is My Name and the other work of Karasuski, Alexander and Carter. And I hope you agree that the interview was worth the wait. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by... Well, kind of a new jazz trio. The Dolomite is my name trio. <laughs> <laughs> Costume designer Ruth E. Carter and writers Larry Karasuski and Scott Alexander. How are you all? Hello. Great. Great. Thank you for really asking. Good. Yeah. How long are you going to be in London? Is it uh, 24 hours? Is it in now? Do you know where you are? Um, <laughs> 8 a.m. We're in a car. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. now. <laughs> right now you were at 8 a.m. in a car. Uh, congratulations all on the success of uh, Dolomite is my name. It's a fantastic film. It's an exciting time. It, it, what's it like for, for the for the three of you? On this particular movie, it's so joyful because we actually made this movie kind of just to please ourselves. <laughs> and it was such <laughs> yes. a fun thing to do. And we actually sincerely loved everyone we made the movie with. So uh-huh. it becomes the celebration just keeps continuing. Uh-huh. And so it isn't like just all oh, this award season or we got to go promote the movie. Oh, it's, literally great. it's literally like, oh, my God, uh, Ruthie, she's <laughs> here. You know, let's, let's go to dinner. You know, so uh, sometimes we're not, you say press the flesh. Sometimes the problem is we're not pressing the flesh. We're just talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. say, like, People, stop talking. Let's just go over there and meet somebody. Right. right, yeah. yeah, and for me too. I just uh, wanted to have fun, and I did, and I wanted to support Eddie. You know, I wanted to get him off the couch and <laughs> get him ready for the film, and we did, and 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 then look what happened. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. How's this? Uh, before we get into that, uh, how's this year compared to last year in terms of uh, Oscars for you, Ruth? Because obviously oh, you won last year. Congratulations! Thank for that. you. I won this year. We're still in twenty nineteen. Right. <laughs> oh my god! It doesn't feel like oh it. My I god. know. Oh my god! It feels like a century ago, but not to me. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, I was a front runner yeah, last year because everyone loved Black Panther and they were tweeting that to give me the Oscar, you know, back in May. Um, but uh, so it's a, it's a lot different because I am reserving some energy. I, then I didn't know to just not, you know, go in head first. And I did. And I was exhausted by the time I got to the Oscar stage. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. OK. But now I just. No, I'm just having fun. Fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, that's a that's a very very key word I think with uh, with this movie. Fun, as you guys said, you know, you you made it because you wanted to entertain yourselves essentially. Mm-hmm. And and Ruth, you also said get Eddie off the couch. And can I just say this movie has performed a public service in getting Eddie Murphy yeah. off that couch <laughs> and back yeah. into the public consciousness because this is. This is Eddie Murphy, and he's yeah. back. I mean, and that was totally our goal as well. I yeah, mean, that was our our agenda because Ed, Eddie had had. Tried to do this with with uh, Larry and me uh, 16, 17 years ago, and it, it didn't happen. Okay, and so then uh, like three or four years ago, after we did pre- People versus OJ, 
we thought we could use our our power for good, not for evil, <laughs> and use that shit to try to get a dream project going. And uh -huh. so we reached out to Eddie, and he got really excited. And we hadn't talked to him in 15 years. And the idea of getting Eddie off that couch and design this project to salute Eddie as much as Rudy. Yeah. yeah. And, and we said, Eddie does stand-up. Eddie does incredible comic acting. Eddie does tender acting. Eddie can do music. What if we put all that in one movie? And it just, you know, they make the design, reverse engineer the greatest part for Eddie Murphy to get him off his couch and have him be, <laughs> show off his greatness again. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, as a, as a public service, and uh, but but going back to that that idea of of fifteen years ago, the first time fifteen seventeen years ago, the first time you yeah. talked with Eddie about yeah. this project, what was you, the goal then? Did that project originate with Eddie back then? Did he come to you guys? Yeah, we, Eddie's idea. Was Eddie's idea. Eddie we got a phone call one day saying Eddie Murphy wants to meet you, and we're like, holy holy shit, Eddie Murphy wants to meet us. I get and, those same phone calls. Yeah, exactly. So we uh, <laughs> we we went to Eddie Murphy's office, and we walked in, and Eddie just started doing. Um, lines from a movie we wrote called Ed Wood where he was actually <laughs> acting out all the parts and doing the, the roles and, and we were just flabbergasted and then he said do you know who Rudy Ray Moore is? Uh -huh. And it turns out Scott and I were obsessed with Rudy Ray Moore that <laughs> when we were in college we collected the videotapes and just we and he was quite surprised that we knew he thought he was going to have to like inform us about Rudy and so we, we instantly got it the idea of Eddie Murphy playing Rudy Ray Moore that was a movie we you know we'd be first in line to see mm -hmm. uh, and, and that, that's, that's often been a goal with me and Larry is to write movies we're really looking forward to, yeah. which it, it would sound stupid, right. but a lot, a lot of, I'd say a lot of writers in Hollywood, and I'll say and directors, fall into a trap where you're just trying to book your next gig. Right? Okay, yeah. And you just need to pay the bills or it's just like, yeah, this could be okay. And you're just taking a job for the sake of a job as opposed to, oh my God, this sounds so cool. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And were you interested as well uh, about the idea that this is almost there's parallels with Edward in in some ways. I mean, there's there's a lovable... little bit, but that actually that was was more of a negative than a positive. Yeah, it was a we, negative. We didn't want to just repeat Edward. Yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. positive for Eddie, but a negative for yeah, because he was coming to us for for Edward, but we just didn't want to make the same movie again. And I think that uh, we didn't make the same movie no. again. I think uh, that's one of the reasons we really embrace say like the the X-rated album business and the Chitlin Circuit stuff. We found mm -hmm. that the uh, the racial elements in this movie made it totally different. That you know Ed Edward was sort of being kept down because he was kind of incompetent. Rudy was being kept down because there was kind of a, a segregated uh, entertainment system mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and I think also is different is it's interesting. It's almost, I think it's a better movie because it took 16 years to make because we're older now. And Eddie's older now, and so and and the movie's and, about and you're older now. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I was the same age back then. <laughs> you know, Ed Wood is about a young guy trying to make his mark, and what makes this movie have a uh, Ed Dolan might have a lot more heart yeah. is that it's about a guy who sort of worries that the parade has passed he, him by. He's looking at the end of the road. Yeah, he's an older dude who he tried to be a singer, he tried to be a dancer, he tried, you know, mm -hmm. and now he's just he's stuck in this mm -hmm. jo you know job working at a record store and, and everyone says, you're never going to make it. Give up on your dream and he won't do it. Mm -hmm. And through this very absurd <laughs> way, he becomes a star. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's kind of crazy thinking about it is that both Rudy and Eddie started their showbiz careers as teenagers. It's amazing. Yeah. But Rudy never succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He just kept trying to push the rock up the hill. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, and Ruth, you've worked with Eddie a number of times. Yes. So mm -hmm. say, for example, had this film go off the ground 15, 17 years ago, doing a quick bit of, bit of mental mathematics. That would have been around 2002. 
That's around the time you were doing I Spy with Eddie, I believe. Yes. Oh, wow. something, and something around. Uh, let's see. And then we did uh, Daddy Daycare. Uh-huh. And then uh, we did Meet, uh, Imagine That. Mm-hmm. And then we did Meet Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a meet, uh, a, Imagine That was the last one I had worked with him on. Um, he did a couple after that without me. And, uh, how so dare then, he? How dare he? I know him better than anyone. <laughs> terrible in those films. He looked oh, yeah, awful. Those, those costumes are awful. <laughs> those shoes, really? Wow. Yeah, it was just a paper sack, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, was it something wow. I said or did? Yeah. Uh, I was probably doing other things. <laughs> of course. And, of course. Uh, Unavailable. Yes. And then we met on this and I brought illustrations to his house uh, in the basement of his house, which is like an arcade. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very dark down there, and it wasn't a place to have a fitting, but that's <laughs> that's where he was at the time. Okay. And showed him lots of illustrations of uh, Dolomite, mm-hmm. uh, taken right from the Dolomite film and from a uh, human tornado. Yes. Uh, that's, that's the thing, because uh, when you have, when you're basing something that's that's there, it's, uh, it's, in, his, it's in history, it's in fact... How much leeway do you ha- have with costumes on something like um, this? You know, there's a latitude that you create based on what you will learn about the period. So mm-hmm. you learn what the colors were, what the fabrics were, and you sort of dive into that pool of things to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to um, bring uh, Dolomite and Rudy Ray Moore to life. Mm-hmm. So I stuck very closely to what they what they wore. There was a lot of uh, illustrations on uh, illustrations, but photographs mm-hmm. of of him inter, um, um, performing. Also, um, Scott and Larry had an arsenal of behind the scenes black and white. Where did you guys get those black and white photos <laughs> from? Various places. A lot of it. Uh, our, our main uh, researcher guy named Mark Jason Murray had collected them over the oh. years, and so he had access to like Ben Taylor's photo books and yes. Rudy's photo books and stuff like I mean, that. We also had talked to Nick von Sternberg, the DP. Yeah. Oh. I actually saw a great yeah. some stuff. Uh, okay. a great black and white photo today of uh, of of Rudy, Dervell, Jerry, and Nick all shooting outside of the house, the Kung mm-hmm. Fu Fight the House. Kung Fu Fight and it's just from the real days and this was a beautiful picture. Wow. Well, I used a lot of those photographs, sure. and that really informed um, what I had uh, imagined that we wanted to depict a realistic version of the '70s, which was all kinds of you know trends and jeans and and earth shoes, as well as you know the um, the urban style of mm-hmm, the time, mm-hmm. so that it was like a platform for a Dolomite, so he could be larger than life, larger than the '70s, you know, bigger and brighter. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, we also there's an interesting overlap. With our work and Ruth's work, in that uh, when Larry and I went to do the movie the first time back in 2003, we met with Rudy, and Rudy showed up in the pimp suit with the hat and the cane, and he was he he was doing the act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then after a couple hours, he he dropped the show and he just became a tired old man. (laughs) And we were sort of seeing the real guy. Yeah. And the real guy is Rudy. The real guy is not Dolomite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the idea that there are there are two people. And, and that sort of became the thesis for the script and the title, Dolomite is my name, Dolomite is not who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was interesting when Ruth came on and we started talking about this and she was sort of talking about what, there's what Rudy looks like mm-hmm. and then there's what Dolomite looks like. Mm-hmm. Of course, then we had we had fun conversations when we talk about 
What happens when he goes to a meeting? Right. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that a third character? Yeah, the same way he performed when he came to see yeah. you. No, I think that's what, what yeah. wound up being decided is, is yeah. that is that he, you know, he puts on that suit. And I think yeah. that's actually one of your best choices is that you, uh, you I think you, re- re- you repeat that pink jacket. Yes, the pink so jacket. So it actually shows that like, he mm-hmm. is actually wearing his nightclub mm-hmm. suit when mm-hmm. he goes to the AIP. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the red hat that's yeah. in the scene. And he's like, oh, this is going to be great. I totally yeah. believe in it. Yeah. You know, if you don't, I do. Yeah. So that's what the magic of... My my huge compliment to her work is that uh, the 70s, uh, I grew up in the 70s, but I feel like when it's done in the movies... It's often a joke. Yeah. It's all like, mm. oh, look at look at the platform shoes, look at the bell bottoms, yeah. and it's always there's quotation marks around it. Yeah. And uh, particularly like with extras and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you you go see a movie and you just look at the people but, in the crowd, and it's all just <laughs> we're hippies or whatever. Clearly, yeah. did not. Uh, <laughs> and we're hippies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what she did. Those hippies aren't really in this movie. Yeah. No. 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 Um, <laughs> few, I guess. Not uh, really. Like just the extras yeah. look so fantastic, yeah. and that was one of the. They the, look fabulous. Yeah. Sure. Like. I remember this of the end scene with the at the Orpheum Theater with yes. all those extras. It's like you know you barely wanted to you just wanted to walk through with those and hang you out with did. those people because they feel lived in. You actually believe the people are wearing those clothes as opposed to mm-hmm. being put in those clothes. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. And I think there was a couple of times where I was leaving the set and I was like, "Ooh, wow, yeah, oh yeah, it's the seventies <laughs> in a realistic way, you know, not in a yeah. make fun of it way." Which yeah. was our aim. Was tr- was our aim? And when you guys are are writing, do you have Costumes in your head? Do you start thinking? Well, what point do you do you do you meet it at any point in the process? Or we you, meet when the movie's about ready to be made. I, I think that's that's funny because it's actually one of the reasons why we really love the the genre that we've kind of you know are 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 are, are in that biopic genre is that uh, as a writer in Hollywood sometimes you're dispensable. Uh, replaceable, mm. but what we found is by doing these true life stories, particularly about people who are not very well known, that we become sort of the expert. And mm-hmm. we've worked with major directors and different kind of directors, but they want us around. They want us to they go meet Ruthie and show them your pictures because mm-hmm. we've done the research. We've mm-hmm. become like the you know Historian. the, the historians, mm-hmm. and, and it becomes you. You're definitely more a part of the process mm-hmm. than you would be if you were just a, a, a person writing a family comedy. Yeah, you guys were on set, on set and accessible yeah, all the yeah. time. But we did that with Tim Burton. We did that with Mila. Yeah. Schwartz. And it's like you know these. It's just, it's 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 kind of a, a cool thing, mm-hmm. indeed. And uh, going back to the idea of of meeting Eddie for the first time, we've heard about Larry and Scott's uh, first meeting with Eddie. But Ruth, do you remember the first time you met Mr. Ooh, Murphy? Yeah, let's see. Um, I remember it was uh, Doctor Doolittle too. Okay. And I had researched a lot of people who worked with him, and I asked them a lot of questions. And they were like, you have to take your, your shoes off before you walk in his trailer. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> you have to lay a fresh carpet down before his fittings. I was like, really? All right. And uh, he never wears the same socks twice. You must buy, you must go get product placement <laughs> from Gold Toe. I'm writing all this down. This and is, he this never is. wears the same socks twice. And I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> And then I remember I kicked off my shoes before I walked into his trailer and he kept looking down and was curious as whether I was walking around the streets without my shoes on. Oh, that's funny. Oh, no. And I thought to myself, I don't think that that's true. So the next time I walked in his trailer with my shoes on and he had no no response. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this my way. You know, I did have fresh carpet down because I kind of like that idea. And I actually did provide him with a 
a fresh pair of socks every time because I thought, well, maybe he just wants that fresh feeling, you know, yeah. brand new pair of socks mm-hmm. makes Why you feel you? good. It does yeah. make you feel good. Yeah. And, um, you know, and Jerry Lewis never wore the same underwear twice. Oh, so he probably knew that and said, I'm going to do that with socks. They're both the professors, so they've got that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just decided that I was going to um, study Eddie and, and make it as easy as I could for him because, you know, he's that guy and he wants the privacy in his trailer, not because it's quirky, because mm. he's studying his craft and... And uh, he doesn't want you to give him a bunch of changes or ideas in the in the closet of his trailer. He just wants that one outfit because when they knock on the door and say, you know, we're ready for you on set, he gets dressed and goes to set. So that's that simple path is not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's what I aim for. Amazing. So um, your paths crossed once before as well. Because he was, he visited the set of Do the, the right, right thing. thing. Yeah, he did. Really? Yeah, yeah he did. Oh, wow. He was, like, was he doing, doing visiting because he's from Brooklyn and he, you know, he was visiting and we were all in awe of him. We were just staring because <laughs> wow. he was Eddie Murphy. Of like, course, from I can Saturday imagine. Saturday Night you know. Live, and I believe he was doing at that time. I want to say maybe it was Boomerang. 89, so 88 you shot that? So it would have been what? Harlem Nights maybe? Harlem Nights, that's what it was. That's what it was. I I went to the anniversary screening of Do the Right Thing at the Academy. and My God, does that movie hold up? It does. That's a fantastic film. It does. The issues that we were talking about in that film still, unfortunately, still are around and Mm -hmm. it does hold up. I just wanted to ask about... (laughs) collaborating with Eddie as well and working with Eddie uh, over the years as, as, as writers first of all what's that like because he's one of the sharpest brain, comedic brains on the planet uh, so how much does he have how much input does he have it was just very natural I mean it was sort of like we were the three of us were in so in sync that uh, there was barely even discussions in terms of, of what to do what not to do and we just we, we gave him a script and he loved the first draft and I, I mean uh, uh, Larry and I uh, made a secret pack, which we didn't tell anyone about, which was that we were only writing the script for Eddie. Yeah. And we sort of didn't really care what anyone else thought because if Eddie loved this script, Netflix would make the movie. And if he didn't love the script, then why would they make the movie? (laughs) (laughs) And so we put in tons of little Easter eggs just about old showbiz jokes and references to Mom's Mabley and just... Player Magazine. Player Magazine. Just going (laughs) deep obscurity that we knew would put a smile on Eddie's face. Right. So we wanted to make him happy. Uh, uh, John Davis, who has worked with Eddie many times, at some point during the writing said, don't expect, don't, Eddie says, don't expect him to improvise. He Mm -hmm. just, he he just wants you guys to do your thing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a bit of a, you know, don't, don't just put in a filler line and then Eddie will make it funny on the day. (laughs) <laughs> Eddie, Eddie just wants you guys to give him the Rudy Ray Moore movie. Right? Yes. And and so, yeah, it was just a total pleasure. Eddie read the first draft and he said, let's go. Right. How many drafts after that did you? Not many. I mean, not many. We, I mean yeah. Craig Brewer came on and Craig's great. Um, I mean, Craig pushed us to make the movie uh, more musical. Uh, he wanted more Lady Reed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. was smart. Yeah. And Eddie was great. I mean, Eddie, uh, and Eddie, you know, the movie feels very lived in and improvised, and there are some imp- improvised sections, but it's mm-hmm. like it's, it's it's surprisingly close to the original script. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, 
And, and Ruth, working with, with Eddie all these years. Well, I hadn't years. seen him in a while. And uh, Rudy Ray Moore, you know, you know, had to have a certain physique. You know, no more Ferrari abs that I knew on Eddie <laughs> back in the day. Uh, but... Uh, He's been sitting on a couch for the last few years. Yes, so, you know, naturally. you know, he had to, you know... Beef up for this role. Okay. And beef um, down. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I, I, I had to think differently about him. And that was my first hurdle okay. because Rudy Ray Moore um, had this career prior to doing this movie and and the success of the movie. So he was working in a record store, but he was a, a, a grown ass man, as they say, mm -hmm. and he had a past. And so we really wanted to show that, you know, by giving him the leisure suit, uh, this matching jacket and pant. Um, that was very popular in the 70s. And that was Eddie's idea because, you know, I had a, I had jeans and a, and a T-shirt with a slogan on it and it just felt way too young for him. And I was like, what do you think would be his Rudy Ray Moore look? And he came up with that. Amazing. So I really loved that idea and it really did work. I and mean, we could take the jacket off and, uh, you know, show the layers and, and stuff in other scenes. I like, it. I like the hats. What, what, is, what is the name of the kind of hat in, in, in the first scene in the diner? Yes, the Applejack. Oh wow! Applejack. Yeah, it's an Applejack. Wow, what a what yeah, a great name! Like Donny Hathaway had yeah, yeah, yeah. one. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is it sort of a throwback to the 1920s? <laughs> yeah, I could, yeah, you could say that. Like, like the 20s, little, 30s, the, new, like the, news, the, the newsboy, the newsboy cap, the newsboy. <laughs> so Applejack. Yeah, Applejack. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be, be ordering one immediately. No, that's exactly that's, that's, that's exactly my thought. Like, now I know what to search for. Yeah, <laughs> well, I brought that bought that hat on Melrose just at a random yeah. store, and I was yeah. like, "Wow, this one looks really authentic." And then when the movie came out, this guy in Echo Park, he was like, "My hat is in the movie." <laughs> oh wow! Uh, and he posted and oh. pictures of Eddie, and oh, here's where you can us. get oh, more. Oh my god! Right, right, right. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I'm not sure I could pull off an Applejack, actually. I'd, I'd, you could. Some, do you think I could? Yeah, yeah, surprisingly, it looks good on everyone. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Even you. I think, I think, Even you could I pull think it I off. was just Dan Buffet praise there. I think <laughs> you were. I'm not sure, but I think I, I, think I was. And, uh, <laughs> I do have to let you guys go now. But, uh, but Ruth, obviously, over the years, you've worked with Eddie a number of times. Mm -hmm. Did it ever come up in conversation? At any point, did you ever want him to shave off the tash? Because uh, he no. has, he's he's only done one movie without the tash in yeah. his entire career, Norbit, and even then that's makeup. Yeah. So. No, never. Never. Mm -mm. Okay. Because I, I, I find Eddie charming and kind of sexy, and so yeah. that adds mm -hmm. to his charm, his dimples, his mustache, and so I'm always trying to you know work with his you know his uh, his look that he mm. yeah. that he's made famous. It's an amazing tash. I mean, he's, he, it's mm -hmm. one of the greatest tashes of all time. <laughs> I just wondered if that was sacrosanct, if there was, you know, like a, a clause, the contract. The tash does not go yeah. Yeah. <laughs> under yeah. any circumstances. Whenever you see a guy shave their tash, it's it's like a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> well, it annoyed me when I was a kid on the, in the first round of SNL when Ackroyd Grew a mustache, <laughs> and then he's playing Jimmy Carter. Yes. Uh -huh. Oh my God. And so then they would like kind of like try to powder the mustache and make it go away, and it was Never just so works. creepy. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah, that doesn't work. That absolutely doesn't work. Uh, but what's next for you, uh, Scott and Larry? What's what's next on your on your roster? Is there anything else that's been sitting in the drawer for fifteen years <laughs> that well, you fine. might dust off and, and make? 
There is a movie that uh, that uh, has been trying to get made for a couple of years. It actually seems like it's getting made this year. Called King of the Jungle about uh, the tech um, guy John uh, John uh, McAfee. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that that looks like that's he's happening. an interesting chap. Yes, another one is. of our wackadoodle projects. Yes. <laughs> so. It's gonna be fun. Look forward yeah. to that. And, and I just uh, finished working with Eddie again. That's right. I did Coming to America too. We just Amazing. finished. So I need a, a little bit of a rest and <laughs> to recharge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're trying to be on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good one. But that's, that's amazing because Eddie is back and he seems energized and he seems determined to make as many movies as he possibly can now. Mm -hmm. Coming to America, there's Beverly Hills Cop 4 in the, in the pipeline as well. I say. I, 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 think, I think we're planning on writing another one for Eddie. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh, we're we're nice. so excited to have him back. Yeah. Yep. Original. Yeah, he's having fun again. We can't I talk think. about it. Can't talk about secret. it. Okay. Secret. Secret. Okay, that's good. <laughs> At least yes. we know there's a secret. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I'll set my spies to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Ruth, any any news of Black Panther two at the moment? Is that? Oh yeah, I think that's uh, for me. It's it's a while away. Uh, probably fall. I start uh, prepping it. Um, but I know that Ryan has written a good story. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's all I know. That's all you know. Okay, you you chipping away at Eddie. Let's get Eddie a Black yeah, Panther two. Yeah. Oh, wow. Let's make it happen. <laughs> We've amazing. already done Zamunda, so <laughs> it would be Prince Akeem travels to Wakanda. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's the movie that's I want to see. That's, yeah. Forget uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I want to see the, uh, that, the Eddie Murphy Cinematic <laughs> Universe colliding with the Marvel yes. Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Martin Scorsese would be furious, but I think we, we would all love it. Uh, okay. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much indeed for coming in. Thank you. It's Thank been fun. You. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. So that was Larry Karasuski, Scott Alexander, and Ruth E. Carter. And now it is time to go back to this week's regularly scheduled podcast for a spot of movie news. But now it is time to get on to this week's movie news. And I am delighted to say that there actually is some movie news, as in some very wildly optimistic souls have signed on to star in movies and there are movies in development and people are going, yes, we're going to make movies, which is tremendous, tremendous news. <laughs> However, that's not where I'm going to start because I'm going to start with something that I think will hit very, very close to home for Terry and myself. And that is the news this week. Now, this week, I have to say, had April 1st on the calendar. And so I was disinclined to believe anything that came out over the last two days or so. The story, for example, about Bradley James, the star of Damien playing David Bowie in a Netflix biopic. That was an April Fool's joke. So everyone just relax, stand down for the time being. Um, but this was, this was announced on March 31st. So I feel this actually is real. Elliot Stabler is coming back to Law & Order. Oh my God. It's it's true, apparently. So I, I also got sent this by about 84 people who were very excited um, and thought this may be relevant to all of my interests and that this is Elliot Stabler, um, who I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast knows, um, was the partner of Liv in Law & Order SVU for how many seasons, Chris? Was it 12, 13? 12 seasons. 12, he, 12 yeah. seasons. Um, and Dick Wolf, who is the kind of overlord... Oh. Ooh, <laughs> chung chung. Um, who, who is the overlord of the Law and Order universe, um, is making an Elliot Stabler-centred show. Now, let's just remember why he left, right? So he left 
allegedly, because of a big pay dispute. And he's dropped off and he never even got a good goodbye. He never got a proper send off. He kind of was in negotiations after he'd filmed the finale of of season 12. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't come back. They had this weird thing where they go, oh, he's he's just not coming back and just clear out his desk for him. However, there have been rumours over the years. Will he come back? Will he? There was a big arc where Liv was um, kidnapped and almost murdered. And was he going to come back then? It's been the point of much discussion over the years. He's always said, I thought that he wouldn't come back. That stabler Mm. was, you know, over. It was lies because he's coming back in a Dick Wolf (laughs) stabler centered. Oh, (laughs) chung chung. This this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I I didn't know this until like I was I was preparing the news uh, for this little section and I was going oh what stories can we talk about and it, like, literally half an hour before we started recording I discovered this I even tweeted it going is this true because it was March thirty first but because the time difference maybe it was April first whenever it was announced so yeah but it does seem to be be true he hasn't really directly. Like I've, I've been on uh, Chris Maloney, so Christopher Maloney, who plays him, I've been on his Instagram and his Twitter, and he has acknowledged it, but he hasn't like outright confirmed it. Uh, but it does seem to be happening, and uh, I'm massively, massively, massively excited. Oh. Uh, this would be like Hotch coming back to Criminal Minds, only you know without the um, unsavory off-screen shenanigans mm-hmm. that led him to be jettisoned mm-hmm. from the show in the first place. But uh, this is this is great stuff, James and Helen. I can see that you are both. Just, Just so excited. I mean, whoa. Uh, so anyway, uh, Elliot Stabler is coming back to Law & Order, but in a 13 mm. part, you, you, you seriously weren't listening? I mean, Terry, you're going to do the whole thing again, but it's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, well, there are questions. Fair. There are questions, What right? questions? What questions? The question, will there be a crossover episode, of which there are many within the Law & Order universe, a crossover episode mm-hmm. of SVU, mm-hmm. which has been renewed, Mm-hmm. And the Elliot Stabler show, that has to be, right? Which means we will get Liv and Stabler back on screen together. And also, why, is, why hasn't he rung her back for like nine and a half years? That's what he's, I want to know. Uh, my feeling is he's yeah. been witness, he's been witness, he's been a wit pro, right? Oh, and, do you think? Uh, I think he's, he's been a wit pro and then he'll come back and then they'll all be like, hey Liv, I'm really, really sorry, um, but now you're obviously a huge, huge star and uh, I can't just share the limelight from you especially since they built a whole new team around you and mm-hmm. svu so i'm gonna go and do my own show this is exact dialogue uh i'm gonna do my own it's show good. and then we'll pop in and every now and again but and, but i'm hoping that this opens the door to return for jack mccoy as well oh. okay the 47th greatest tv character of all time so uh yeah exciting times in the world of oh hang oh. on have we turned into the pilot tv podcast <laughs> uh no of course we haven't uh, they, we're still talking about movie news and there is some and it isn't just of the, our movies are not coming out now. <laughs> but that said, Sony have moved a whole bunch of movies back. Yes, to help with the humanitarian crisis, they have pushed Morbius back. And we are all thankful to them for their efforts to, you know, help us all. Oh, At last, I mean, some yes. good news. And what I mean by that is uh, it gives them more time to make Morbius even yes. more perfect. That is exactly what we mean. I mean, and, and Morbius himself is obviously a doctor working on cures for dread diseases. So he's probably busy right now as we speak. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, of course, Ghostbusters is going back mm-hmm. as well to both to next March, uh, I believe. Uh, and then Uncharted is obviously going back because they should be shooting right now and uh, mm. they're not. Uh, so they, I don't think they've set a new date for that one. Yeah. 
And uh, apparently, apparently they were shut down on day one of production, which is which, which isn't <laughs> Sorry. great. We shouldn't laugh. We shouldn't laugh. Um, I, we, I'm not laughing because I don't want to see it. I'm laughing because I feel like I've been writing about this yes. this damn movie since I came to Empire in 2003. Um, <laughs> it is so. I just yeah. I'll believe it when I see it, and not before. I mean, it's absolutely cursed. They've gone through director after director after director. They finally get a leading man and Tom Holland. They finally get a director. I presume <laughs> they have a director. It may, they may not. It may just be, it may just be directing itself at this point. Uh, and then they finally get to production and the fucking pandemic shuts it down. God knows what else will happen between now and it actually coming out. Um, and Peter Rabbit 2 was pushed back yet again. Uh, poor little fella. But I've- Venom 2 staying, right? They're saying that it's still going to be early autumn. That's interesting. Well, at least we have something to look Uh forward to. Right? That may be the first film we all get to see in the pictures, guys. Oh, 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 God. No, no. Come on. We've got to. We have to be out of this in time for Wonder Woman. I I just, I insist. They've moved it back already. We have to be out of this in time for Wonder Woman. Come on, people. Pull together. We've been ever so good. And Venom is how we're rewarded. I'm very <laughs> yeah. excited about it. Andy Circus, yay! Yay! Stay inside, Super- save us from Venom. In slightly more upbeat news. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, in slightly more upbeat news, I think John Krasinski is the hero we need and the hero we deserve. Have you seen this? He started his little new YouTube show, mm. Some Good News with John Krasinski, where he acts as a TV anchor and talks us through good things that have been happening during the lockdown. And it is perhaps the most adorable thing that's ever been on the internet. It also goes on for about half an hour yeah. and involves uh, guest appearances from Steve Carell, where they reminisce about The Office. Uh, and it's worth staying to the very oh. end. Uh, the closing shot is uh, is delightful too. But I really enjoyed this. It made me happy. And it was very moving, actually, as well. He's great. I do wonder how Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, who are doing their delightful Office rewatch podcast, Office Ladies, which is tremendous. If you're a fan of the US Office, check it out. They're best friends in real life. Their chemistry together is amazing. I do wonder how they feel. I mean, they're, they're, they're now on season two of The Office, so we count that episode by episode. And they've had guests from the cast on, but they haven't yet had John Krasinski and they haven't yet had Steve Carell. And they'll get to them, I'm sure. But then Krasinski just dumps a YouTube show on, <laughs> on YouTube and there is Steve Carell reminiscing with a little Anchorman poster in the background of his office, which I absolutely Aww. loved. Um, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they're all fine. I'm sure they're all, it's all, it's all good. And the office ladies, the success of office ladies has inspired Sack Braff and uh, Donald Faison, uh, who of course play JD and Turk on Scrubs. Uh, again, one of my favorite shows. And they are now doing, they're best friends in real life as well. And they are now doing uh, their own Scrubs Rewatch podcast. It's called Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Sack and Donald. And that's, uh, that's available. The first episode's up now and I must listen to it immediately. Oh, that sounds adorable. Um, there was some other news as well. Um, Black Widow, um, obviously should be out about now, practically. Um, but they've actually d- taken this opportunity of the the slight delay in its release um, to switch composers. Now, whether that's a sort of a timetabling thing to do with the delay, I don't know. But instead of Alexandre Desplat, it will instead be Lauren Balfe. Yeah, that's interesting because also Black Widow hasn't yet had uh, a release date announced. No. Has it? So I wonder if maybe the score wasn't quite 100% there in terms mm-hmm. of timing and whatnot. And uh, maybe a display, you know, was moving on to something else or maybe he's unavailable because of self-isolation. Who We don't know. And uh, so maybe they, they brought in Lauren Balfe, who's very, very good indeed and did the uh, yeah. score for Mission Impossible Fallout and uh, Bad Boys for Life and his Dark Materials and, mm-hmm. and all sorts. And it's a fast rising noise in the composing world. So... Uh, yeah, be intrigued to see how that one turns out. And also, listen, maybe, 
maybe uh, Natasha Romanoff, given the way she ended up in Endgame, didn't want a composer whose name is Desplat. So... Oh, too oh. soon. Too soon. Too shit. <laughs> too, too shit to complete the training. Uh, uh, Marvel apparently are also pressing ahead with plans to shoot Doctor Strange 2 in July and Spider-Man 3, or you know what I mean, you know, this Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. work from home, yep. Uh, yes, uh, around the same time. And apparently Seamus McGarvey, the great uh, cinematographer Ooh. who shot the first Avengers movie is uh, on board to shoot that one. So that's right. that's intriguing. We shall see what happens. Of course, as I always say in the podcast these days, COVID notwithstanding. Um, mm-hmm. But there has been some actual movie development news as well. So three things, and you can we can all talk about them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is in talks to star in a Netflix adaptation of Dragon's Lair. Uh, Edgar Wright has announced that he will direct an adaptation of Simon Stevenson's novel, Set My mm. Heart to Five. Uh, mm. And Ryan Gosling is going to produce and star in an adaptation of Andy Weir's novel. He wrote The Martian, of course. And I didn't write down the name of that one. It, <laughs> so, it is, of course, uh, Project Hail Mary. Project um, Hail Mary. Thank you, Helen. So it's, it's another uh, things go wrong in space and somebody has to figure them out film, which I could not be more here for, even with Ryan Gosling in it. <laughs> Does he have the shit on the potato? Let's find out. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, James, do you know about Dragon Lair? Uh, not to be like stereotypical, but you it's seem not like to be you confused would. with Dragon's Den. Yes, I, it, this was a staple of arcades in the kind of late eighties and mid eighties, to be honest. Uh, and it was one of these. It was like a. It, it played out like a live action cartoon thing, and you would occasionally move the joystick, which would perhaps alter the rails of the narrative and change the events. In reality, it just guzzled all your money because it was punishingly difficult uh, and almost impossible <laughs> and barely even interactive. Because it was like, if you move the joystick left at this point, this thing will play. So it was barely a game. Um, but I'm sure I'll make a great film. Okay. <laughs> what's, the, what's the plot? Dirk, the dragon slayer, has to go and Daring. avoid the dragon, avoid being cooked by the dragon, and I'd probably get some treasure or save someone. I can't remember the plot because it was so fucking hard. I never got that far in the game. It's uh, Dirk the Daring, and he has to rescue Princess Daphne from the dragon whose name is Singe. And also, there's a nasty w- wizard called Mordrock. Hot facts. Hot Your facts. Sounds great. has a tattoo of the dragon's name on her foot. There you go. Hot fact for you. <laughs> uh, no, Singe uh, is the dragon's name, James. I know. Her, her word it begins does. with an M. Very true. <laughs> um, yes, good uh, old Daphne. Perhaps there will be an inversion of this one. It will be Daphne saving Dirk. I think that would be, uh, would be far more appropriate in this particular <gasps> case. Mm. Since Dirk was shit. The Edgar film, though, I think just sounds amazing. And it did remind Mm. me of somebody when I was reading a description of the film. It said, a robot learning to love who wants to write a screenplay after having an emotional awakening prompted by watching 80s and 90s films. James, do you recognise anything I just described? Sounds tangentially uh, related to the new season of Picard. (laughs) But... uh... I can only assume that they will end up on the uh, synthetic planet hunted by the Jadvash. Oh, Christ. Facing Space Cthulhu. I am Final Draft. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be great. Um, Yeah, it sounds very Johnny Five to me, actually. Mm. When when they say set my heart to five, I think they've they've just left out the word Johnny, so... But that's pretty, pretty cool. And uh, by weird, <laughs> genuine, by a weird coincidence, Simon Stevenson is the author of next issue's first take club. 
the column in Empire uh, in which um, people see a film for the first time. I won't tell you what film he has chosen. Uh, it's not an Edgar Wright film. I think he's seen every film created <laughs> by Edgar Wright. Uh, this, of course, isn't the first time that Edgar Wright has attached himself limpid-like to, to projects um, that aren't necessarily his own. Uh, no, he was he was attached to, say, The Night Stalker for a while and some other films over, over the years as well. So whether this is indeed his next film after Last Night in Soho comes out, hopefully this year, uh, we remains to be seen, but it, it sounds pretty damned exciting. And the Andy Weir, Ryan Gosling thing, that looks good. Everyone's happy? Yeah. Honestly, solving problems in space is one of my favourite yeah. genres. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it could be like First Man, only, you know, exciting good. and interesting and good. Yeah. yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, I, there was <laughs> Fingers also, crossed there was also uh, Zack Snyder uh, news this week. Did everybody yeah. see this? So first of all... Yes. Oh, God, make it stop. I got atted by Snyder Bros, left, right and centre. Was that for the Honest Trailers trailer? It, it, well, no, this actually, you're right. We got uh, we got yes. asked about that as well. But yes, you're probably yes, talking about I the am, watch yeah. party. So there was so there was an honest trailers trailer for the Snyder cut of uh, Justice League, which, as we know, has not yet been released. Which, among other things, um, mentioned that Zack Snyder was the single person keeping the uh, social network Vero alive. And sure enough, Zack Snyder confirmed that by having a sort of watch along live commentary for Batman v Superman: colon, Dawn of Justice, uh, wherein he revealed. Some tidbits that are kind of small. I mean, the death of Jimmy Olsen, he claims, was meant to matter in some way to someone, um, despite all the evidence in the film. But he also said that Harry Lennox's General Swanwick uh, was also meant to be Martian Manhunter. Mm, John John Jones. Jones. Yes. And what? I'm sorry. Was he? Why? How? What the hell? Anyway, so that's exciting. And I'm sure we're all very excited to see the Snyder Cut. Which could happen one day, maybe. I mean, they're launching this HBO Max or whatever it's called with Warners, right? It could mm-hmm. happen in theory, in some form. So cool. Well, I mean, what happens? What happens? Because the, the the kind of the the Snyder fanboys have essentially built this thing up as the it's basically Citizen Kane with capes. Like the greatest mm. film ever made is Zack Snyder's cut of this film. What happens if slash when it finally gets released? And it's just a bit um, meh. Well, first of all, they they very much would want me to say at this point that they, they don't believe that's a possibility. Second of all, if it were <laughs> to happen, they just want to have seen it. That That is the party line. They mm. just want to know what it is. And realistically, I think third of all, they will blame other people if it isn't <laughs> Brilliant, because because I'll be honest. Look, if you know, it was pretty much shot, but they certainly hadn't done any pickups or reshoots, which might have been necessary. Um, I don't my my understanding is that the VFX were not finished. I know that many Snyder Cut devotees would disagree with me on that and say they were 90% there, but that is not what I have heard. Um, so I think that they would essentially blame all of that stuff that wouldn't have necessarily been done for any shortcomings. Blame it on the mother boxes. Where it does not work. Yeah. We'll see. We may not see. Who knows? We may never see. It may be the, the the missing bits are just him playing with action figures, doing silly voices. I'd be absolutely, totally, one hundred percent up for that. Uh, up for that one. I would absolutely However, want to see that. I would really. I'm on board, fully on board. As I as I say with alarming <laughs> frequency on this podcast. Um, but uh, the the Zack Snyder film they should be getting their knickers in a twist about, of course, isn't the one that you know may or may not exist. It's Army of the Dead, motherfuckers. Get on board. Yeah. He's coming back. To the zombie genre, and he's gonna fuck shit up. Yes, exciting stuff. Uh, anyway, 
What else has happened? Oh, yes. The poster for Extraction uh, was released yes. this week. Now, Extraction is the Chris Hemsworth-led action movie that is out at the end of the month, April 24th, on Netflix, uh, directed by a uh, longtime stunt man who's worked a lot very very closely with Hemsworth and all the pretty much all the Marvel movies called Sam mm-hmm. Hargrave and it's written by Joe Russo and, and produced by Joe and Anthony Russo uh, which is very very exciting so we're expecting big things from this and the poster came out mm. this week and uh, it reveals that Chris Hemsworth is playing a character called Tyler Rake <laughs> so do we have to revise our expectations <laughs> upwards or downwards oh, I knew this upwards. already actually I have to say because I was on set haha <laughs> And you saw Tyler Rake. I saw Tyler Rake in all his glory, yes. He he looked very much as he does on the poster, which is kind of beaten up and a little bit exhausted. But as I understand the context of the film, like that's pretty much how he's going to be throughout because he's he's pretty much beaten up and exhausted because he's involved in a major action-y film. I mean, Sam Hargrave um, choreographed lots of the kind of big set pieces that you know from films he's worked on. So like he did the staircase fight in Atomic Blonde. So, you know, he knows what's what, but I think he's really like tried to level up a gear when he, when he as his directorial debut. So yeah, hopefully it'll be big action craziness. And the name Tyler Rake certainly suggests that it will be. It suggests that there, there's a joke and they're in on the joke in some way. And I, I love um, action heroes with ridiculous names. And Tyler Rake is absolutely up there. Uh, and, you know, what happens when the bad guys step on a rake? Does it go full sideshow Bob? <laughs> is it going to be like you know, <laughs> just him hitting bad guys in the face and them going, no, that'd be amazing. Um, that would be incredible. Yes. Extraction is out on Netflix on April 24th. And just to finish off the uh, the news section, there is some very, very sad news that uh, COVID-19 is beginning to claim the lives of people in the film and TV industry. Uh, so sadly, this week we lost Andrew Jack, who was a dialect coach on the most recent Star Wars movies and can be seen in both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi as major. And then general, apparently, uh, Matt, mm-hmm. uh, in both those movies. You, you'd know him. He's the... He's got long white hair and a, and a white beard and he passed away this week uh, at home in England at the age of 76. And uh, at the age of 52, we lost Adam Schlesinger, who was the frontman of Fountains of Wayne. Uh, so, you know, if any, you know, if anyone knows Stacey's mom, etc., American uh, pop power pop group. Uh, but I didn't know this about him was that he was an incredibly prolific. I only discovered this this morning. He was an incredibly prolific songwriter who contributed to Lots and lots of movies uh, and TV shows and even theatre. And he uh, he won a couple of Emmys and he was nominated for Tonys and, and all sorts. So uh, he wrote That Thing You Do, the song that the Wonders play Whoa. in That Thing You Do. And Tom Hanks paid him a lovely tribute on Twitter today. Uh, he wrote a couple of songs for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He wrote song songs for the Tony Awards broadcast. And he wrote some songs for Josie and the Pussycats and uh, just seemed to be a really, really much loved and much respected uh, singer-songwriter. So very, very sad news indeed, uh, both uh, Andrew Jack and Adam Schlesinger. Rest in peace. Okay, so before we get into this week's reviews, uh, we're going to continue to give a shout out to cinemas across the globe, many of which, of course, are struggling in the COVID-19 crisis. So uh, shout out this week to the Showroom Cinema in Sheffield, where you can still buy memberships on their website, uh, to the staff at Cineworld and Picturehouses, whose job situation has now, I believe, uh, I've been told by 
uh, Picture House staff who've got in touch with me, been resolved positively, which is great to see. Uh, I hope this, this stays that way. Uh, to the Alamo Draft House chain in the States as well, um, an employee of Fleur has got in touch with me to say that they've set up a fund for their employees and are currently donating all the revenue from their monthly subscription service to that fund. They've automatically paused the subscription for everybody when the cinema is closed, but you can unpause it if you wish to donate to the fund. And uh, another cinema in the States, the Dark Side Cinema in Corfalis, Oregon, has been closed for the past couple of weeks, but is accepting donations at darksidecinema.com. And uh, I know and I appreciate that it is tough for everyone right now. We're all under pressure. Uh, but if you can find it in your pocket to donate to these causes, to donate individual cinemas, not just ones I've mentioned, but your local cinema, take a look around, you know, do a little bit of digging. I'm sure they'll all have some sort of fund. They'll all have some sort of membership or something that you can buy during this period of uh, enforced closure. And support cinemas, then we're all going to have somewhere to go when this is over. And Terry, I wanted to get you on this as well. You know, obviously, as the editor in chief of Empire, you know, just you know, people should support us as well in this time, in this time of crisis as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's no kind of secret that the film industry, but also the publishing industry, like every other pretty much industry in the world, is is going through a really challenging time. And you know, Empire is a magazine, and now with the podcast and the website, it's a brand that has cinema and the pure full-throated love of cinema is at the heart of everything we do so when the cinemas shut their doors I don't know about you guys but I found it really upsetting and really emotional and there's been a real kind of mourning for what we're missing at the moment Mm -hmm. the reason we wanted to launch the celebrate our cinemas campaign is because we feel really strongly at Empire that you know, this is a really difficult time. But when we come out the other side, I think we'll have a greater, richer appreciation for the collective experience, which I think is genuinely unlike anything else in culture. Going to the pictures, sitting collectively with strangers in the dark, the lights going down and experiencing that movie um, for preferably 90 minutes, but, you know, sometimes three hours, um, is, is one of the greatest experiences we can have as human beings. And I think we'll appreciate it more. But it has to survive on the other side. And I think everything you're talking about in terms of supporting, especially local independent cinemas, which have, you know, I've had some of the greatest nights of my life at at various independent cinemas around the world, Um, making sure those businesses stay open, that the staff are still supported, I think is really vital. And, you know, and, and as you say, like, hopefully keep supporting Empire because we want to also come out the other side of this um, celebrating the kind of rich, life-affirming stuff that is cinema and is film. And we can only do that with everybody's support and everybody's help. Um, but we can't wait to be back in the pictures, the other side of this, um, sitting mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder with the people who, who buy our magazine and listen to this podcast. Uh, yes. I'm going to be... At least six feet away from every one of you fuckers, uh, <laughs> no matter what happens from this point on. Uh, but yeah, I can't wait to get back into cinema. I can't wait to get back into a football ground. I can't. I just can't wait to get back outside. What is outside? I had to Google it today. What is outside? <laughs> what is socks? Uh, you know, all these all these questions that have come up uh, as a result of the of this crisis. Uh, but yes, uh, absolutely. If you want to. Carry on supporting Empire. And we know that many of you are subscribers to the magazine and we we thank you for that. We thank you for your continued support. Uh, the best way probably to get Empire during this this current situation is to get the 
to, to subscribe. And you can do so uh, via empireonline.com and also via greatmagazines.co.uk. And the best way to support and help a podcast to stay and stay a podcast is to support us as well. Um, so we do have, of course, the spoiler subscription channel, uh, which you can uh, sign up to. Uh, the details of that are on the Empire website as well, but also on my pinned tweet at Chris Hewitt. We're keeping the content coming for the spoiler specials. Uh, the, the regular podcast, the one you're listening to right now, uh, will always be free, as you know. We've we've said that, but uh, the spoiler specials are behind a paywall, and that does help keep the podcast going. So, if you want to sign up to that, next week you're going to get the third <laughs> Mandalorian spoiler special. We're going chapter by chapter, but we're discussing chapter four, which is uh, Sanctuary, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. And then beyond that, we're going to be going back to the very beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and going film by film, which is tremendously exciting as well uh so yes we we value we appreciate your support and uh i'll see you on the other side guys right enough sincerity time to now talk about this week's film releases uh and again as 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 i have the last couple of weeks i'm gonna try and keep it down to three films this uh, every single week so that we have things to talk about next week we know there are other films that are available on netflix there'll be for example love wedding repeat which hits next week on netflix there's disney plus of course there's still a few films in disney plus we haven't yet talked about uh but i'm gonna start off by talking about a film that came out this week on digital hd and download wherever you get your downloads and it's a a rather sweet drama uh, called Standing Up, Falling Down, which stars Ben Schwartz. You may know him best as Sean Ralphio in Parks and Recreation. And Billy the Crystal. Worst. You may know him. Yes, he's he's actually not the worst. He's really no, fucking good. No, he's great. Good. He's, he's really great. hilarious. Uh, I've just realized he's got a massive spot in the center of my forehead. That's, that's not a symptom, is it? Anyway, um, <laughs> and it also stars Billy Crystal, who you might know best as Billy Crystal. Uh, as uh, So he's a stand-up comedian who has failed. He returns to his hometown and he falls in with uh, Billy Crystal's dermatologist, who is also a bit of an alcoholic. Uh, so what do we think of this one, Terry White? Well, so I'm calling this one um, Beaches with White Men, um, which, which <laughs> pretty much sums it up for me. Um, I, I've i got a feeling we we may disagree on this, but I'm going to plough on anyway and you can shout at me in a minute. Um, okay. So, it's, I mean, it's a fairly standard, from the premise, it's a fairly standard odd couple slash buddy movie, as you say. Uh, ben Schwartz, he's this failed 30-something stand-up comic. Um, I suppose the interesting thing in this film for him is, is really about his kind of dramatic chops um, and whether he has those. And, and Billy Crystal, as, as you say, holy shit, it's Billy Crystal fame. Um, alcoholic, 60-something dermatologist, both arguably going through these life crises at, at different points in their life. They meet, they develop this weird but kind of touching friendship and there's some solidarity as they um, try and unfuck, as it's brilliantly put at one point, um, the, the absolute catastrophic mess that's their personal lives. Now, here's my issue with this film. We should say it's the directorial debut of Matt Ratner, who's been a producer for years, written by mm -hmm. Peter Hort, who did uh, Kevin Can Wait, the CBS show, um, and uh, Killing Hasselhoff. Um, look, in the words of James, it's fine. <laughs> and so they have sweet chemistry in moments. It's really charming in moments, tender. It's 
kind of tackles redemption, who gets it, who deserves it. Can you ever truly unfuck something you've spectacularly fucked is the central premise of the film in, in many respects. But is it memorable or exciting or even really interesting? And I have to say, no. Um, <laughs> and it's because for me, the story is so well trodden and there's nothing within it for me that really captured me or surprised me or or felt like a, even a slight inversion or twist or kind of new take on any of it. The script, I have to say for me, there were moments where it's really forced and in turn that makes kind of some of the performance moments really forced. There's a scene where they meet in the bathroom of a karaoke bar and I honestly found it kind of excruciating. Um, and I felt like that a lot of the kind of first 20 minutes of the film. I have to say it got better for me as it went mm. on. And by the end, I definitely felt em some emotions, capital S, capital A. Um, <laughs> but let's be frank, the best thing by a mile about this film is Billy fucking Crystal. Like, you know, he's got a, a great kind of uh, underlying sentimentality in this, which I think is what we're used to seeing with him, but also this kind of interesting edge. But I don't feel the script kind of matches him being Billy Crystal. Mm. I don't think it quite reaches up to who he is as an actor and the gap between the material and him as an actor, I think is really exposed at times. I didn't buy bits of it. I mean, it's kind of one of those things that if I stumbled upon it on the telly on a Saturday afternoon or on Netflix and I kind of put it on and, and watched it and was like, oh, this is kind of nice, but it will not be something I ever think about again or remember in three months there's elements in it of of sort of wish fulfillment in the writing it felt like you know this is kind of what the writer wants people to say about him at mm. times you know sort of um you know because ben schwartz's character isn't actually bad as a comic and it just feels like maybe he's just messed some stuff up and so you know there's, there's elements of i think wish fulfillment in, in some of his relationships especially some of the stuff with his ex-girlfriends um who he left behind when he went away and you know that kind of took me out of the film a little bit because I was like, eh, you know, it just feels like somebody's kind of working out their own issues through a screenplay rather than telling the best possible story. But yeah, I agree with everything that Terry said, basically. <laughs> I don't know enough about Peter Hoare's situation to comment on that, but <laughs> you, you may be right. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I, I should say that is pure speculation on my part. No disrespect. Yes. Uh, the lawyer than you is uh, <laughs> suddenly gone. Helen, 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 Helen. Speculation. Okay. Overruled. I object. Um, uh, so, Terry, I'm afraid I'm going to have to shout at you now. Um, of course. I agree with what oh you my said. God. Yeah, why did you think I would, you know, because it's about, you know, two white guys and you thought immediately I'd go, yes, that's that's the film for me. Thank you. <laughs> Siri, what Billy is Crystal, cinema? Billy Crystal, failed stand-up, you know, Parks and oh, Rec, come on. For fucking fairness, whoa, whoa, whoa. I haven't even tried stand-up yet and if I did try stand-up, I would succeed spectacularly and the reason I don't do stand-up is to give the other stand-ups a chance. Not that you're a failed stand-up. It's interesting that you took that from that, Chris. What, what do you, <laughs> do you mean that I take it? something from that? <laughs> Fuck you. What? What did you say? <laughs> All I heard was, uh, anyway. Uh, uh, yes. No, I, I thought this was um, I thought this was fine. Absolutely fine. You know, uh, we're going to review a film next week that's on Netflix called Uncorked. And I think both films are quite similar in a way in that they don't necessarily reinvent the wheel, but they're perfectly pleasant 
times at the movies uh, without actually being at the movies. Uh, and in its, in its favor, this is about 96 minutes long. I applaud any movie that's about 96 minutes long, especially in our current situation. Uh, I thought it was well acted. I thought Billy Crystal was, was excellent. But I didn't quite see why he took the role. That there were, I was waiting for a big moment that would be like a huge grandstanding Billy Crystal, either being brilliantly, brilliantly funny or really acerbic or a proper breakdown scene. And we never really get that without going into too mm. much into spoilers. Um, I think Ben Schwartz is fine. I seem to d- discern from your criticism of the film that you think he's not quite up to it, dramatically speaking. I no, fun. I think I think that it was an interesting test of whether he would be because um, because of the dramatic content of this film. And, and as you say, I think he was fine. I mean, he's opposite Billy Crystal, which is literally the hardest gig in the world, right? Um, but I thought they were fine. Their chemistry was fine. Fine. Mm, fine, 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 totally fine. And um, we don't have an official Empire review for this yet, but I think you can probably guess from listening to all of us that we're very much in the three-star camp on this, which is a recommendation. So there you go. Uh, standing up, comma, falling down, three stars for that one. Uh, and let's move on now to a film that has been all the talk of the internet. Uh, it is a Spanish movie. You can find it on Netflix. and uh, It is... Very pointedly for these times, although I suspect accidentally so, uh, in a way. It's The Platform, which is a film I keep wanting to call The Portal, but it's actually called The Platform. (laughs) Helen. We should talk about portals. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, The Platform is a film from a Spanish director whose name even I'm about to mess up because I think it's actually Basque. He's Galder Gaztellu Urrutia, um, and he uh, has come up with this kind of single location-ish thriller. It's a prison tower. There's two people on each floor um, in one sort of room. Each room has a hole in the ceiling and a hole in the floor. And every day a platform descends through the different floors, which go down pretty, pretty far. And the platform starts at the top full of a delicious, incredible feast. And you have two minutes to eat as much as you can. And then it descends. And by the time it gets to some of the lower floors, well, there ain't so much food left, guys. So it's a story about, um, well, you can read it any way you want. You can read it as a simple sort of cube style thriller slash horror about what happens when you've got these people trapped in this impossible situation. Um, Or you can read it as a a very pointed critique of capitalism, which is what I obviously choose to do. Um, (laughs) So our hero, if that word can be used here, is Goreng, who's played by Ivan Masagwe. And he, he wakes up, he's actually volunteered to go into this place. So it's not technically just a prison. He's going in for six months. He hopes to read Don Quixote and he's going to come out with some kind of university degree somehow. I don't know. But what he doesn't realise is quite how hard it's going to be to survive because every month you get moved to a different floor. And if you're up on floors one to ten, you're going to be fine. You're going to eat like a king. If you're below floor 100, say, <laughs> then that's going to be a problem for you. So it's it's in, it's really interesting how this develops over the course of the film. What happens with your cellmate when you're in this situation? Um what do you eat when there's no food coming for a month? What happens? And it's a really tense, creepy, disturbing, um, all too realistic film um, about you know how how much does society hold us? How 
considered our way of others. If you've been, just been starving for a month and you're suddenly up on one of the higher floors, do you only eat your ration and leave some for other people or do you eat until you're sick? Um, so it's there's some really, really kind of big questions that are tackled through a very, very simple, very elegant plot. It did remind me of Cube, but that's a film of which I'm a fan, as I know you are, James. Mm. It's um, yeah, very much It's so. got that same sense of creeping dread because you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm so worried about where he's going to end up next month. And I don't know. And I don't feel good about this. It's also a 90-ish minute film. Where, so it gets some points for that because honestly, if this went on for two hours, I don't think I would have been able to take it. I think I would have been too stressed out. Um, but at 90 minutes, I, I just about could. And I was kind of invested in it. And Goreng himself starts to try and figure out ways to kind of challenge the system and, and see if he can, you know, promote cross-floor cooperation and try and leave some food for people. And, you know, it's not that easy. It's one of these things where if this has come out at any time, you think, oh, yeah, interesting film. When it comes out now, it just feels horribly portentous, yeah. like a, a metaphor for everything. Exactly. Uh, which is a little bit bleak. But, you know, take it take it for, for you know, the coronavirus, take it for global warming. Like right. It kind of, it, Anything. It, 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 it's, a, it's a glove that fits all hands. It really it really is, because it is it is this whole idea of, well, you know, is it is it every individual for himself or are we better if we work together? Um, and I think the, the message here is, is fairly clear. Honestly, if they had photoshopped in a packet of toilet roll on top of the feast, I feel like this would be the most on-the-nose <laughs> coronavirus film ever. But as it is, it's still pretty... You would not want to be on floor 100 if the toilet roll came down there. <laughs> it's a film that will, unlike um, Standing Up, Falling Down, I think this one will kind of stick with you a little bit. So I loved this. Um, I mean, it's incredibly bloody and graphic and violent mm. um, and hardcore and unrelenting. So obviously I loved it. Um, <laughs> and it is, you know, there are, even though obviously it's a Spanish film, there's kind of shades of austerity Britain in there. They call, mm -hmm. at one point they call this prison the Vertical Self-Management Centre, which was just like a, a bit of kind of, you know, that could have been a Tory name, but it's just a brilliant huh. description of this. And as I agree with absolutely everything Helen says, you know, it asks these massive questions. What does it take to affect societal change? How do you make people prize the collective? You know, the rise of individualism, the death of society, the brutality of austerity. Mm -hmm. um, it's the decline of any kind of community. All of this stuff is in there. But what's really interesting is, is that the message isn't actually conveyed in a very sophisticated way at all. It's a bit of a blunt tool. As Helen says, it is elegant, but also, it's you know, it, there's no kind of big, necessarily complicated metaphor no, or parable simple. here it's really straightforward and simple and mm. so when you compare it to something like parasite for example which has which i think has a different way of saying things about class and about capitalism but what this does it does in a really hugely effective way and it also doesn't allow that message to overcome its job as a pacey propulsive thriller like it is a lean film but christ you barely catch your breath in the whole mm. thing it charges along at such a rate and every bit of dialogue every kind of bit of exposition every kind of violent set piece everything moves so quickly but is an essential bit of storytelling i just thought this was masterful the cinematography there are moments of such beauty within this it's brutalist but there are the the some of the tricks he plays i just think are absolutely phenomenal i just loved this and mm. found it horrific and shocking and uh, couldn't sleep last night thinking about it. Wow. High praise then for standing up, falling down. Uh, oh, no, wait, you were talking about the platform. Sorry. 
<laughs> got confused very, very, very easily there. Uh, yeah, I thought this was terrific until it maybe runs out of steam in the last 15 minutes, I would say, when when the allegory takes over a little bit. And it, yeah, maybe. There's much maybe. debate, right, about the end. There's mm. much mm. debate about the end, which I would, I would urge anyone not to Google this film before mm-hmm. you've watched it because everything that comes up online is discussion of the ending. So stay clean, people. <laughs> stay clean. <laughs> and I think the director does a great job here, actually. But um, he, in the interviews I've read with him, he actually avoids talking about the end of the movie. So thank God we didn't mm. do a spoiler special, otherwise that would have been... So tell me about the end of the movie. No. Uh, oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, but there's a really nice there's a really nice uh, line of dark wit in the movie as well uh, so not to give anything away but occasionally we'll, we'll see other cells and uh, every prisoner gets a luxury item and some of the luxury items that they bring in with them are just they're amazing insane mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so there are some really really funny lovely touches there as well so yes I'm fully on board with the four star rating that we gave this four stars then to the platform Last but not least, or maybe least, in fact, I know it's least, last but least is Four Kids and It, which is the latest original movie to debut exclusively on Sky Cinema. And Jimbo, what did you make of this one? I did have the pleasure of watching Four Kids and It, of course, based on uh, Jacqueline Wilson's book, the more acceptably named Four Children and It, which, of course... In turn, it is based on five children in it by E. Nesbitt, begging the important question, what happened to the missing child? Uh, that is not what this film was about. Well, clearly, though, that- clearly, the missing child met Stephen King's It, and <laughs> <Yes>. therefore... <laughs> it all ended quite badly. It floats. They all float. Um, no. Actually, uh, Five Children, it was itself, when it was published, it's 1902, Five Children, it mm-hmm. was published, and it was published under the name at the Samiad. That's two so, months there you go. Which is the name Long of it? Story in history. Which is the name of it, not it, Stephen King's it. That's, of course, Pennywise. We've gone off track. This is the, uh, the it of this particular film. So... This film stars Paula Patton and Matthew Good as a pair who take their kind of blended family to Cornwall, which is where they've chosen to break to their respective pairs of children that they're dating, which seemed like an odd bit of parental choice, but there you go. Uh, anyway, the stroppy kids head off into the sort of sand dunes by the beach and encounter a magical beast which grants wishes through its enchanted farts, which was an interesting <laughs> development. Mm. Uh, all of which is well and good, but of course the wishes, they only last until uh, sunset and an evil Russell Brand <gasps> is skulking in the sand dune. Yeah, you know it. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Um, I mean, this is nonsense, but it's very meta and I quite appreciated that. I like the fact that this exists in a world in which not only does the book Five Children and It exist and one of the characters actually reading that book during the film, but that book is apparently based on real events in this film as well. So it's got a quite twisted mythology to it. The acting is, shall we say, uneven in places. (laughs) Um, The kids are... Not great. I mean, oh, Matthew Good's always good. On. Paula Patton's great. No, I really love them. The kids, I didn't think were fabulous. The kids Russell are Russell Brand fine. was a um, war crime against really all things in this. Um, it would, the, honestly, I think you can trace it back to Russell Brand's appearances when this film kind of goes off the rails. Like at that point, you're kind of giving it, you 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 go, you're rolling with it, you're giving it the benefit of the doubt, and then he turns up as a kind of eccentric mansion dwelling millionaire is that anyway so there are wishes and that's different there from the real Russell Brand how <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no no exactly it, this one has a mansion full of stuffed animals and like a whole family history of hunting rare beasties 
So okay, I yeah. don't know if that could come into play somehow, but I guess we'll yeah, find out. Yeah, it's it's almost as if there's a warning sign there. I mean, the, the Samiad itself is voiced by uh, Michael Caine. How they got him to do this is utterly beyond me. And at some point, Cheryl Tweedy slash Cole slash... Vassini, whatever it is, turns up in this as well, mm. which was unexpected. Um, and I think it's at that point I basically lost consciousness. I quite enjoyed this as a kids' movie. Of course you did. I mean, look, um, it's not it's not going to set the world on fire, um, and some of the CG is appalling. But like, it's it's a kids' movie. It's like it's you know it's a British summertime kids' movie. As such, it's fine. I mean, you're not. You, you make a good point in that for us to watch it, it is well. Certainly for me, it was an ordeal. Though I do think that if you are, I don't know, locked in the house, unable to leave with children to entertain, exactly. there are worse things to put them in front of than this. It's harmless fun. There's a pink helicopter in it. Go nuts. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's not. It's not good though, right? No, it's so, not. So, <laughs> but kids, I'm not the most discerning critics in my experience, so I quite, think let them fill the boots. But it's a bit weird in places like Matthew Good and Paula Patton, right? They've got this relationship and and you're kind of like left in no doubt that they really fancy each other and they always seem to be like grappling with each other. There, there is actually a line of dialogue um, that Russell Brand kind of drops where they're flirting with these weird um, tribal masks and he makes a joke about their kind of ethnically <laughs> dodgy uh, flirtation. Um, it's it's uh, yeah, the kids are just, you know, strop about, scream at each other. Um, nobody's really shrouding themselves in glory. I've never met a Russell Brand performance that I liked. Uh, this has not changed that <laughs> sentiment. The CG, is, as Helen said, is woo! Holy cow! Yeah. Yeah, they did um, not invest in that The at only all. thing worse than the CGI, I would say, is the parenting. At one point, one of them snatches the other one's Nintendo Switch, which is an expensive piece of hardware, and runs off with it. And Matthew Goodes lying there letting them get on with it. Discipline your children, man! There, there are a lot of phones and technology smashed in this movie or thrown away. Or, I mean, people are just very... Very careless with their phones in this film. I will. I it's will a agree on that. Metaphor for screen time control. But I think it's a real problem actually in modern kids' films is that modern kids are not allowed out in the way that kids were in the olden days. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the original, the, the original five children in it, obviously set in 1902, where you were basically told to go out and come back for dinner. Um, <laughs> I think the last TV adaptation I saw was a World War II kind of evacuees version mm. of the story. So again on a way off with you and we'll see you for dinner time. Whereas now, like the idea of kids being able to run around all day and the, and the parents don't care, it's just not realistic anymore because they're under lockdown like 24-7. It's mad. Anyway, that was my little rant. <laughs> little rant. Um, but why call it four kids in it? Because like, there's only be four kids in it. <laughs> no, but call it four children in it. I'm not saying invent a phantom child, although honestly, I do want to know where that fifth kid went to. Um, but uh, fifth but kid why was kids? a baby. Why kids? Four children. Let's, 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 oh what's wrong with yourself. you? What are so fancy? Critters. Four children in it. People say Sounds kids more... all the time. Yeah, How yeah. is that the thing you're banging on about? Look, I'm. This is the hill I'm going to fucking die on. Like four children in it is the name look, of this goddamn book, look, and I'm insisting. This is a guy who won't kept. even watch Tiger King. Like he just doesn't understand anything. Come on. I know. I know. I watched some of that last night. It's interesting. My, my, my Tiger my King is King Ezekiel. <laughs> oh Christ! Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Okay, um, so uh, we gave this four kids 
and it a disappointing sequel to it chapter two uh Two stars, two stars then for Correct. Four Kids and It, and you can find it on Sky Cinema, should you desire, this weekend. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. We made it through another remote, recorded separately, self-isolation podcast. It's a, you know, hey, we did it, guys. Pat on the back to everybody. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by, once again, I have literally no idea who the fuck we're going to be joined by. Uh, every day, uh, trying to get a guest in this new world is an up-a-dawn pride-swallowing siege that I will <laughs> never fully tell you about. But hopefully we'll have someone good uh, for you next week as well. Not Matthew Good. That would be great. Matthew Great with an E. <laughs> anyway, be good. we'll have someone. May even be Sharon Horgan. But until we meet again, until the auspicious occasion, until then, it is goodbye. Uh, maybe for a while, maybe for a few weeks, we, we don't know. From Terry Bangly Bang. Dean White, uh, <laughs> as is your name here on the, um, on the screen. Goodbye. <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. all I get after a big build-up. <laughs> yeah, that's all you Although, get. Yeah. If you have missed Terry, I would, and because I haven't mentioned oh it yet boy. this podcast, I would heartily recommend that you do tune in to the Pilot bang, TV bang. podcast on Monday. When, <laughs> <censored>. <laughs> uh, when you will hear me having forced Terry to watch a feature-length episode of Red Dwarf, and I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this. Oh, no. <laughs> Has this happened yet? Has this happened yet? Have you, have you seen it yet? We're recording it tomorrow. Uh, have you seen, have you seen it yet? Have no, you, I've got to do it tonight. It's going to be amazing. Have you watched it yet, Jimbo? I have watched uh, about two thirds of it. Give me a visual clue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a visual clue. Which clip. translates very well in a podcast. <laughs> uh, Amazing uh, visual those great things. Like we leave it up to the listeners' imaginations. Now you can fill in <laughs> the blanks uh, yourself because um, I certainly don't want to break any embargoes or whatever. But uh, I am very excited about this Red Dwarf feature length special. As is Terry. Yes. <laughs> Um, that's exciting stuff. So that'll be out on Monday, the Pilot TV podcast. And uh, it is goodbye, of course, from that show's host, James Dyer. Goodbye. Goodbye, James. Did, did you want more? Frequently, uh, yes. But like uh, a, a sonnet, you know, a no, haiku. Yeah, Patrick Stewart reading out James's tweets. <laughs> that's, that's where we're going to end up. That's what I've got for you. <laughs> and of course, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. That's it. I have to I say, guys, it. I'm really disappointed with the sign-offs this week. It's, it's <laughs> like, to, like that's my normal sign-off. What are we supposed to have here? I know, but there's like there's a, there was like a delay between me saying and Helen O'Hara. And I thought you were about to launch into an impassioned kind of like you and know. And another thing, you're waiting for the music to start and us to go into our own impromptu rendition of One Day More. Yeah, yeah. I can give you one final final recommendation. Um, okay. There is a Pixar short on Disney Plus call, called Pearl, as in P-U-R-L, as in the knitting stitch or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. If you know anything about Pixar history, it's one of the most astonishing films I've ever seen. So uh, yeah, have a have a look at it. It's really good. Amazing. And also, we, we did mention uh, some some listeners, we did say that we would tell people what they could watch as well on the likes of Mubi and on the likes of the BBC iPlayer, you know, just to keep people abreast of all the viewing options that they, they, they can have over the uh, the coming weeks and whatnot. So uh, Mubi, over the last week or so, has had some cracking films added to it. As you know, I discussed it last week. It's one film in, one film out. So they now have the likes of Primer, Shane Cruz's Primer. They have Brian De Palma's Sisters on there, which is a film 
I, I've never been able to get hold of. So I'm very excited about that. They have another Ingmar Bergman movie there from the life of the marionettes. And the BBC iPlayer is just loaded with incredible films that you can watch for free for gratis, you know, as long as your license fee payer, of course. The likes of Rain Man, Stronger, Foxcatcher, Margin Call, Mindhorn, Personal Shopper, which we discussed last week with Brett Goldstein, A Simple Plan, A Walked with the Zombie, and Night of the Living Dead, and Witness, Peter Weir's Witness, are just 10 of the incredible films that are on there for free on the BBC iPlayer. And uh, hopefully, as of next week, we'll be telling you what's on all four and all the different various services as well. All right, I guess it's time for me to say goodbye now. And uh, what I will say, what are you, you know, I usually round off with something quite funny, guys, but this week I'm going to go sincere once again because uh, this podcast is dedicated to two babies. Terry's young son, Emlyn, named, of course, after one of the great Liverpool Football Club captains, <laughs> Emlyn Crazy Horse Hughes. And then, of course, my, my brand new great nephew, Tommy, named after my dad. Uh, I'm off to look at pictures of him because I won't be able to meet him for weeks. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.